Greetings, everyone, and welcome to a Big Vibes episode of The Stacks. This is Jay. And listen up, here's a story about a podcaster who saw a couple blue films, and all day but mostly night, everything they see is blue. I'm blue, Shana, Sheena, Shana, Shana, she, I'm a blue, Shana, Sheena, Shana, Shana. It's a oh, long okay. one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I shortened it from my original from my original <laughs> plan because I was like, "Oh, this is already getting too long." Uh, I had like three more lines. Oh my lord! Uh, yeah, blue, blue colored movies this week, especially our first film, which is entirely blue. Uh, sort of a blue pink film, which you know that's that's kind of interesting. The, those are the bisexual colors, right? Blue and pink. So oh. you get the, it, so it's it's a tinted black and white film. We're talking about A Snake of June from 2002 by director Shinya Tsukamoto. Uh, coming back to the Solid Metal Nightmares box from Arrow. And I looked at his uh, discography, and I think the box should say Solid Metal Nightmares, some of the films of Shinya Tsukamoto. True. We are missing a few. Well, that's why we, we dipped out of the box for a bit and did... Uh, uh, Gemini and uh, Haruku the Goblin from our uh, from Mondo Macabro. Mm-hmm. We actually, <laughs> I looked at the list and there's actually a bunch that we're missing if we do them all chronologically. I know but... there's the Nightmare Detective ones, which someone really needs to put out. Mm. Uh, I do have another one outside the box, uh, Fires on the Plane, which I think actually came out later than most of the stuff in the set, maybe. Yeah, there's. I was surprised there's stuff in there from like 2018 that, like, in this box, I didn't mm-hmm. realize it was that new. Right. Yeah. Well, I I think like some of these were like the first releases of uh, some of the movies. That's cool. Yeah, and th- this is sort of an interesting disc because they all seem to be shorter, weirder subjects, very intense little ones. Because we get like three features on this disc. Mm-hmm. And uh, Snake of June is what, like an hour and 15? Yeah, 77 minutes. Uh, and yeah. it, well, that that has sort of always been the thing with Tsukamoto is that the films are short, but they're impactful. They're very crammed with incident. <laughs> yes. Uh, Iron Man is the closest to this one in terms of pacing and just how, how much it manages to jam it to such a small space. Yeah, I, I kind of... My first reference point uh, definitely was Bullet Ballet, although I like this more than Bullet Ballet. Uh, they have kind of a similar impact, but you know, as I said to you right after I finished watching it, this is the Bullet Ballet of horniness. <laughs> yeah, I think I liked Bullet Ballet better because I think I understood that one more than this one. Oh, I get this one. Uh, a, a lot of it is just it's this thing of the rainy season, which I've seen other Japanese movies on this topic, just the the humid month of June, the rainy season uh, seems like this sort of cultural fountain of horniness. There's this other movie, The Wayward Cloud, uh, that has a lot of stuff about oral sex and watermelons. It's a very strange film. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Tsukamoto. I don't have that one, but I'd like to get that one at some point. <laughs> Fascinating movie. Uh, but this one, yeah, it's extremely horny. <laughs> it's uh, uh, but but it's about repression. It's about repressed 
sexuality, uh, much like the marriage sequences only of Tetsuo 2 and oh, yeah. the relationship parts of Tokyo Fist. Like this is the female version of those movies. It is like the female lead version. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it opens up with this sort of boudoir photography uh, that I presume is being done by our guy Ichigu, uh, who we won't really get to know for quite a bit of time, but it's, I think him doing the voiceover is like a small camera won't do it has to be a big one with a flash. Otherwise you can't make her come. Yeah. <laughs> I love how that's like the first line in this. I'm like, okay, this, yeah. All right. I know what I'm getting into. Uh, I forgot that Tsukamoto doesn't waste any time. Yeah, it's it's just a, it goes hard right away. Uh, our our photographer he's just profusely sweating while he's photographing this naked lady, mm-hmm. and then we cut to his editor and we see this editor a few times and he's just sort of bemused by everything. Like he he's he's listening to the big camera line, and <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, he's also looking at the photographs of dildos. And you're like, huh, well, <laughs> you take hot stuff like this or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I-, I couldn't quite figure out this part. Was Does he work for a porn magazine or something? I don't know if it's quite that. Uh, he-, he seems to just be... Because when... when it's referred to later when he's talking to uh, the main character Rinka, and they're they're reflecting back on their conversations through the suicide hotline, where uh, originally or like up to this point, he only shot still lives. So him shooting a naked woman was would be very oh. strange for him. Yeah, so I so think he normally, yeah, yeah. So he wouldn't be working for a porn mag normally. No, couldn't be. Maybe that's why the editor is just like, huh, okay, this is, maybe it's like, this is kind of weird for you, but okay. Right. And this is like at the point where he quits his job and we understand that he's struggling with his mental health. We don't know that he's also struggling with his physical health, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it goes to him calling the suicide hotline and we see that uh panorama of his apartment we still haven't really seen him other than just him sweating taking the nudes yeah it, it takes it takes a while before we get to see him uh he's played by sukamoto himself isn't he correct it's uh it's a very sukamoto role it's much like his roles in uh the the tetsuo films and uh tokyo fist it does feel uh of a piece with those yeah he i've noticed he often cast himself as the not the villain but usually the antagonistic force in the movie he's arguably the hero in this movie in a very weird sort of way uh in a way and and i think directly positioned to be and it sort of reflects in an interesting way on the other ones because it is a similar character where he's trying to push people's boundaries and make them open up to their uh real sexuality that they're repressing yeah only in this one he just wants them to fuck and the other ones he wants to turn them into giant tanks right but it's weird that it's still sort of the same arc and oh, it totally is <laughs> all of them are still really into it in the same sort of sexual way mm-hmm. 
I, I have found that really interesting in the last couple of films in this set with this one and uh, Bullet Ballet and uh, the, the others that they feel like, like all of these have sort of felt like variations on a theme, but these ones, they're like stripping back to single elements. And this one is just purely the horniness element of all of it. <laughs> yep. Uh, you compared it I think when we were chatting to Eyes Wide Shut, and the more yeah. I think about it, the more I see that's exactly what this is. Not I, I was thinking about like the whole conspiracy and like him being chased by rich people, but no, it's it's the whole finding the whole out what sex is. Right. And it's interesting, especially because it's it's not focused on the guy. The guy gets like eight minutes. <laughs> he, he does get more than I thought he would get, though. True, but he only gets that one little sequence to himself, and then the next part is the you know the trio sequence, the menage a trois. But I, I, I like the intro with, uh, I think it's Ichiku, uh, his apartment... And we just see all of his developed photos of objects, his still lives, like uh, burners on a stove, just uh, like a whole row of those. Oh, yeah, right. I, I was really wondering about that because when I watched this guy's apartment, I still had no context for who this guy was. Mm. So it was just, I didn't know what I was seeing, to be honest. Well, I it, I think it's an interesting uh, forecast of things. It, it's like... We see him as a photographer who objectifies things. He is a photographer of objects. And now him turning to taking photographs of living subjects and treating them as objects uh, has a certain uh, ring to it. And he, he's got, you know, that one shot of him just profusely sweating, him having to live uh, next to a living thing that he's photographing. Mm -hmm. sort of activating something in him uh, and that's where we cut to the credits or the the opening credits the a snake of june title really pretty black on uh, blue on black which is the entire movie but yeah no i really like it yeah it, it has the flavor of an early 90s erotic thriller like it, it looks like a basic instinct type title card oh yeah i haven't seen that but yeah, it does look like that kind of thing. You're right. So the movie is cut up into three pieces. The main one is the first one, and it's uh, started with... They, they each have their own chapter title, and this one is the female one. It has the woman symbol. Mm -hmm. And by the time we finally get to the... we spent so, By the time we get to part two and three, we spent so much time on the woman that I forgot they were dividing it up this way. <laughs> So when I get the man symbol, I was like, oh, yeah, we're going to get more perspectives? Well, yeah, it doesn't even really seem clear that it's supposed to be. And on my first watch, I was almost like, wait, are we seeing some of the same things that already happened, but from his perspective? And it's like, no, she's sort of redoing these things to kind of awaken him the way she has been awakened. It did play with my, uh, with my thinking a bit. I thought that, yeah, like you said, maybe we were just seeing it again, but not through the eyes of the repressed girl doing it, maybe seeing it like she looked way more confident because she actually, but no, she was, yeah, she was doing it again. Yeah. So our, our main character, Rinko Tatsumi, uh, played by Asuka Kurosawa, she's uh, work, 
She works at this suicide prevention hotline, so she's the one on the other end of the line that he's calling just before the opening credits. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. We have this sort of out-of-context dialogue that's sort of just a montage of her day, and it's strange how most of it sounds like she's advising suicide. Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, it, it also say, seemed really, like, really kind of mechanical. Like, she was doing it in her customer service voice, it feels like. It's extremely disconnected, all of it. And <laughs> that's sort of uh, the theme that we're setting up right at the beginning. And that's sort of the blue color and what it's represented in those other Tsukamoto ones. Like, that's uh, Tokyo Fist. That's the uh, alienation of the city is the blue uh, uh, in... Uh, Tetsuo 2, that's the marriage. That's the like cold, broken marriage in the oh. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely remember that from Tokyo Fist. Mm. Tetsuo 2 is a little too too far back for me now. Uh, but it, it's interesting how, yeah, it, it seems like she's advising suicide. And then this woman shows up in the rain and she's extremely ominous, just dripping from the rain and has this thousand yard stare. Mm hmm. And she just kind of like drifts into the place and then her boss, I guess, shows up and is looking and it's, it's this, this lady's asking for her. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that's weird to go to a suicide hotline, like the office and ask for someone by name, but I don't know how these things work. Well, I I'm surprised that they give their names, but maybe you give like a first name to, uh, you know, be easier to talk to, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, she she's cut. She's there. It it turns out her son is there with her. It, he's sort of like it, it's almost. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of uh, uh, Inland Empire. Is it Inland? No, Mulholland Drive, where our guy goes out and the he just sort of like slides into view from behind a dumpster. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he's there, and the mom is actually there to thank her for saving the sun through her counseling. Although we don't actually see any thankfulness. We see just her being lurking and ominous, and then we cut to later them being relieved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I was kind of worried that this uh, scene, it was set up, it kind of reminded me of when he was in the subway in the first Tetsuo the Iron Man. Absolutely. He was about to get chased by the uh, the machine girl. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I kind of feel like it's sort of deliberately echoing that kind of thing, but it's weird that it's like, no, yeah, no, I'm here to thank you, but we don't get the resolution or the uh, moment of relief. They get it, and then we see them being relieved afterward, but still sort of weirded out. Mm-hmm. So the, the relief is not there for the audience. <laughs> nope. Uh, there won't be any of that for us for uh, a while. No. Uh, she gets groped on the train on the way home, mm-hmm. and then we we first first time we see it, and it's just the recurring image that they cut to, just torrenting rain overflowing the gutters. Oh yeah, this is a it's not just a blue movie; it's a very wet movie. Extreme, Nobody's dry. Yeah, very very wet, very rainy all the time. I love her uh, uh, her rain gazing bath with the like the <laughs> greenhouse bathroom with the fucking rain porthole in the roof that's so cool incredible skylight yeah it makes it look like she's in the bathtub but somehow still in the rain it looks so awesome 
It's crazy. So she gets po- she gets home and the husband is unexpectedly home early, Shigeko. Uh, and he's obsessively cleaning the sink, just scrubbing, scrubbing. All right. I'm going to say it. He looks like Danny DeVito. He doesn't have the sexual charisma of Danny DeVito. He doesn't have the raw energy of Danny DeVito. <laughs> Which is very true, but... <laughs> I mean, it's it's the main plot point of the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he looks, to me, because of the hairline and the glasses, he looks so much like Danny DeVito to me that I found it distracting. It's weird, too. I, I, I think intentionally cast, he's much older. Uh, he was the dad first yeah and it it does kind of have that feeling as well they have a weird sort of uh, fatherly paternal relationship instead of uh, one that feels like a marital relationship and that's the big problem in their marriage well it feels like they don't even share a bit because he didn't know about the hamster that they that she got gets later no and it starts out with her asking to get a pet. At this point, she wants to get a dog. And he's like, you know, maybe a big one. He's like, no, no, dogs are too big. It's like, well, how about a rabbit? No, rabbits get too big too. I'm like, how big does a rabbit get? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Answer: They don't. They don't. It, it feels like a parent-child relationship because mm. he. It's also the point where he scolds her about leaving books around. Yeah, there's like, she's actively reading the books right now. She's got. She's it looks books. like she's studying. Yeah. It's weird. And she's not leaving them around. This is what she's doing right now. It's like, chill out, man. Uh, and it, it just feels like there's a complete disconnect in uh, their sensibilities and who they are. And there is just zero sexual chemistry. Even though we do learn at various points, she does want it. It's just he is so disconnected from it. It feels like part of the uh, hygiene obsession that he has. Oh, yeah, he's always cleaning something, and she's like, I'll help, and he's always like, no, I like doing it. I like doing it. It's The only thing he likes is cleaning. (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe not the only thing, but it's certainly the only thing we see him liking right now. So, not to get too biographical this guy just reminds me a lot of my dad (laughs) uh i i remember a new year's eve party at our house where he brought out the vacuum in the middle of the party and started vacuuming the living room (laughs) not that anything had been spilled it's just you know he felt that it had gotten a little (sighs) Um, you know you've had people around they've been around for a few hours it was relatively early in the evening yeah, no, you, uh, well, you got to do it a few times, right? You got to keep just oh, to be God. safe. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is the part where after the scolding, we cut to her in bed in the night where she wakes up and she does reach for him, expecting him to be there. Yeah. And he is not. He is not. There's just an empty space and he's out in the chair in the living room. <laughs> and this is a recurring image we see a whole lot of times. Mm hmm. And I'm not sure, and presumably, certainly the context we get later is that he's usually awake and aware of her hovering over him and then putting the blanket on him, because we see it from his POV a couple times later. Yeah, uh, the way the the way that her putting the blanket on him is shot, uh, <laughs> and there's a few times- It looks ominous. Week, it looks like she's holding a pillow and she's going <laughs> to- 
<laughs> yeah, it feels like it's a noir. It looks like she's lurking over him to do something. And uh, sometimes it like certainly when we see it from his POV, it feels like that's intentionally the way he's imagining it. But it's weird that it it feels kind of that way from her perspective, too. Yeah, well, I, at this point, I still wasn't sure what their relationship was. So I, I thought like maybe, yeah, maybe she was going to kill him so that she could be free to get laid once. <laughs> yeah. Because it's clear that she wants, even this early, like she wants to get laid, but. Yes, there is just intense erotic longing, uh, absolutely suffusing every moment of this movie. And this is not going to be the guy who does it. No, not really. Uh, Or at least not yet. No, not for a while. So this is where, this is the first point where, you know, it's after she puts the blanket on him, we see her watching the rain in the big circle skylight. Uh, Just this ultra-modern apartment, but uh, beautiful, weird, like, it's sort of a jacuzzi bath. And it's surrounded by plants. Yeah. Um, this is one of the nicest. I, I hate nice bathrooms because I don't have one. Yeah. It, it, and this one's so elegant and simple. It, you know, it's got none of that over design that a lot of these extreme ridiculous ones. Like maybe the amount of plants is unusual. I'm not used to a bunch of plants in the bathroom. I feel like you'd get spiders. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's her way of rebelling against his neatness or his way of it's i feel like the plants are somebody's passive aggressive message to the other one but i can't place who it feels like her thing this feels like her sanctuary and you know the plants represent life uh which seems to be something that he seems more against he wants everything to be very sterile Mm -hmm. you know how he doesn't want pets she's got plants that's all she's allowed to have yeah Okay, yeah, no, that's, yeah, it wouldn't be him, yeah. And she does this after looking through his jacket pockets, and I don't think she finds anything there. She's just, like, trying to get some sort of insight into what's going on with the dude. Yeah, because right now it seems like it's nothing. Like, this guy's got nothing going on. And he kind of doesn't. He's sort of forced into having stuff going on later, and some of it, is related to our main guy and some of it just seems to be a completely alternative thread although (laughs) he ends up in it as well that those are the craziest parts that feel most like the eyes wide shut thing it's just they happen in such a compressed space yeah i i almost felt like they were spliced in from a different movie with Mm. how uh, different they are to everything that happened before it they're pretty fucking crazy (laughs) so uh, next day, Rinka gets the first blackmail letter. It's got a bunch of photos of her masturbating. Mm-hmm. And like here in the apartment. Yeah. So like she's she looks out the window and closes the blinds like, huh, I don't care for this. I love all the shadows of blinds in this apartment as well. It's got a real noir feel to it. Mm-hmm. I, I could I could actually because of the how everything was all blue. I actually couldn't place that. That's where the photos were taken. But. I guess where else would they be? Where else is she going to masturbate? Yeah, she's not going out in the street <laughs> doing it. She's very well, repressed still at this point. Not yet. Not yet, exactly. That, that's why I say at this point. Yeah. Uh, but just, you know, all the shadows of all the plants, the blinds, the 
odd windows. So the weird sources of lights, he got like these circle spotlights, just incredible shadow design in the apartment for the blue tint and everything. Yeah. It makes everything feel really like otherworldly. Right. So the blackmailer, his line to her is she should be happy that she has something to live for now, (laughs) which I think is him throwing one of her lines back at him. Yeah. Her, one of her lines back at her. I, I think so, yeah. Because I remember... Because he seems to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I remember in that opening montage, her even saying that. It's like, you should be happy, because now you should have something to live for, right? Right, exactly. So she goes to see her rich, bedridden mother-in-law. And she, she learns that Shigei, who had been there earlier, kind of passive-aggressively asking her to buy him a new car. <laughs> yeah, like... um isn't she sick in bed? Come on. <laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, he was here? Really? Really? I didn't know that. Why? <laughs> it's like, oh, he, he was trying to get me to buy him a new car. And I told him, you just got a new car. What, what do you need a new car for? It's like, huh. Okay. <laughs> what is his deal? <laughs> I don't get his deal. <laughs> I see the whole thing and I don't think we ever find out. Not really. He kind of doesn't seem to have a deal. He does seem to be sort of a blank. (laughs) I don't get what she wants, what she sees in him. She just kind of has to mold something out of him. Yeah, I really get the feeling that this is just kind of, she just somehow ended up with him, but nobody's really sure how it happened. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So the the next blackmail package arrives. More pictures of her. Most of these, these these are the ones with her in this extremely short skirt that she like cut really short but she only tries it on in the apartment she uh doesn't feel up to wearing it outside now i like when she's looking through the photos because there are so many photos taken so close together that when she flips through them it's like it's insane (laughs) (laughs) it's like looking through like one of those lip anime book or animation books where you just like flip the pages when she gets the negatives back and it's just this gigantic <laughs> box, this is huge binders, just like, holy Christ, there's like a thousand pictures here. It's like a briefcase. I thought like there was going to be a few negatives and then I thought it was going to underneath was going to be like, here's a bunch of money for your trouble. I mean, it's so amplified. It's such an incredible amount of them. Again, it's how incredibly horny he is. He's spent his whole life photographing uh, solitary objects and now suddenly he just like needs to take pictures of living people and sexuality yep uh so uh, also included in this package is a cell phone he phones her up and th- this is the first of his his plans for her to liberate herself <laughs> <laughs> i don't see the problem i was just making you do things that you already want to do why don't you do what you really want? <laughs> That's so hurt. He, yeah, he he gets her to wear the miniskirt and he's like, okay, just take the miniskirt with you. you. You can go put it on when we get to the place. He, he has her go to the public bathroom. But just, uh, you follow my instructions and I'll give you the negatives back. Yeah, and I'm definitely not going to keep adding more instructions as as we go ahead. Yeah, I'm not going to do the Darth Vader thing. Be careful I don't alter the deal further. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he's not getting her to do it quite yet. First, she has time to go out and buy a taser. 
and we just see more rain just overflowing the gutters. Mm-hmm. So much rain. And Shigeiko just scrubbing at the tub <laughs> maniacally. <laughs> he just did checking in with what's going on with everybody. Like, yeah, everything is just the, the dam is overflowing in terms of repression. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so a, a letter comes addressed to Shigeiko and she opens it and it's from uh, Ichigo. It's more of the photos of her. Uh, it, it, these This time it's her considering buying a dildo online. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's just photos of her looking at uh, photos of dildos. Yeah, like, I, I think she's on a vibrator website or something, and it, it's, like, her on a laptop, and you see images of dildos. And we also definitely learn that she doesn't actually buy one. Yeah. <laughs> she's too nervous, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> buy the dildo. You know you want it. Just buy it. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, they they sit they ship them in like these unmarked boxes. No one knows right. what you got in there. Like uh, th- this is definitely a point at which I do kind of agree with them. It's like, look, just buy it, lady. You <laughs> kind of need it at this point. I think it's very obvious. You you need something. Uh-huh. <laughs> Shigeiko is not bringing it. <laughs> no, no. So the secret phone rings. A secret phone is something you never want to have, right? Yeah, especially if you don't know <laughs> that you have it. Well, she knows she yeah. has it, right? Because she, she got it with the first package. Oh, right. Yeah, she had to find out with the first package that there was a phone. Yeah. So he suggests, all right, next Saturday is the perfect time. Because uh, Shigeko is going to be at work all day. You'll have uh, total uh, privacy of a sort, right? Uh, of a sort. And she asks, like, why are you doing this? He says, "It's well, it's because you made me want to live. And it, it kind of feels like it's a threat. He's like, you made me want to live, and that sucks, because I, I can't live. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Um, like, we don't know that yet, but, you know, he has a terminal illness. Yeah, never thought about that. It's like, oh, I had made peace with dying, but now you make me want to live, and I can't. Yeah, so you know, he's he's kind of burnt on that, but he also it it does feel like he wants to liberate her, like he sees the sexual problems she's having and he wants to make them better. Mm-hmm. It just the the way he does it is kind of amplified, you know. It's uh, it's a little dickish. So we see another one of Rinka putting the blanket on Shigeiko in the chair, and her sitting in the bath watching the rain through the circle skylight. I thought we were here. I thought we were flashing back, but it's nope. This is just her routine. She doesn't nope, part of the routine. Yep. <laughs> Beautiful. So Saturday comes along and he, there's an earpiece that she's got and he uh, sort of instructs her through the day. Mm-hmm. She goes to this public bathroom, gets changed into the miniskirt. Hey, and <laughs> you weren't wearing your underwear in your apartment. Yeah. And he, he sort of coaches her in owning her horniness you know it's like hey just show them who you are and you'll get the negatives back yeah yeah so she's she's got her umbrella which she sort of holds very stiffly downwards between her legs to sort of give a a little bit of uh, coverage skirt's not that short i've seen shorter it's pretty short pretty short (laughs) it's it's very very cut short uh, yeah, all right. When she's up going up the escalator, yeah, okay, it's pretty <laughs> yeah. short. 
Yeah. And she does have to walk very slowly. And there's points where she's supposed to kind of lean down to look at something. And it's like, uh. (laughs) and she's getting looks, or at least from her, her perspective, she feels she's getting a lot of looks. We don't know for sure that she is. Yeah. I was thinking the whole time I was, I was like, she's going to get a few looks, but mostly no one's going to look at her. They'll glance at her. They'll be like, Oh, hot girl skirt. Okay. Back to our business, especially a crowded city like this. Right. But that's not and, how she's going to see it. Right. It's definitely not the way it, it appears to be to her. What the reality of the situation is, is maybe somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. which is why I was kind of wondering when we saw it happen later on. It's like, is this another perspective of the same day? But <laughs> it's it's a replay. It's a, it's a new version. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is the pattern. He tells her to go through this busy uh, mall area, go up the escalator, which she's not a fan of. Nope. <laughs> and you got to go through the department store and just in the bathroom of the department store it's like all right let's go buy a vibrator now (laughs) (laughs) just like that like okay let's go buy a vibrator yeah it's like you told me you've got to do what you really want well i know you really want to get one so why don't you do what you really want oh i don't want one i don't want one of those in the house (laughs) and i would say in the sex shop is where she is the most extremely seen she's ever been. She's in the very short skirt. She's wearing the sunglasses. She's lurking. Like the guy's like, you were lurking at the entrance for a long time. I was wondering what that was about. (laughs) It's totally like the people who are really awkward about going into the shop with the hat and the trench coat. Yeah. I'd like to buy some. (laughs) Don't tell anyone you saw me here, buddy. She's so awkward. <laughs> and he's like, uh, oh, you want the bigger one? Yeah. <laughs> She's trying to point at anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. The guy's like there's teasing like two... her a bit. <laughs> and there's two or three kind of uh, skeezy looking guys just watching her do the whole transaction. Like she's <laughs> the most seen she's ever been in her life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's like Carrie in the principal's office uh, after the, the shower scene. I, it's yeah it's a lot like that i'd say it's probably it's exactly like that yeah so she buys it and she goes back to the bathroom <laughs> uh, the next thing she has to do <laughs> so first like she's she has to hold it out the window so he can see it wow you got a <laughs> huge one i wasn't expecting that it's like oh nice that's a really big one that's great and he's like, uh, you know what? This isn't what you really wanted quite yet. So you don't get the negatives quite yet. The thing is, you're going to put the vibrator inside you and walk in the streets. He's like, no, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to leave the remote control here in the bathroom. You just leave it for me at the entrance. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, you know, you want to get those negatives back. And he calls her a hypocrite for telling people, what to do but not doing it herself in terms of you know doing what you want to do <laughs> i don't think he, she's being hypocritical here i know and he's he's kind of assuming a lot <laughs> yeah that's true so he mentions about shigeiko and that very rudely you know you're out of touch with your husband's feelings <laughs> well 
he's not given her anything to work with. Also, what about her feelings? They are mutually out of touch with each other's feelings, for sure. Uh, And he, it feels like he's talked to her quite a bit and knows a fair amount about her past, because this is sort of the only background we get about her is through him, through what she's told him, because she says like, hey, Shigeyaku isn't a boozer and womanizer like your father. Right, yeah, like, oh yeah, you, you definitely picked the right man to marry. He's nothing like your dad. And I wonder if that's sort of uh, meant to be kind of a dig, or maybe that's why there isn't, you know, it's a Freudian thing of that's why there isn't any sexual energy is that he's this milk toast who doesn't have any of the raw sexual energy of her father. It's weird. It's hard to say. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure how to read that one. Because he definitely has some strange notions, Ichigo, mm-hmm. or Iguchi. Gucci. I think I've been calling him Chica the whole time. It's a Gucci. So next, all right, you, you got the you get the vibrator in, you leave the remote, and you're gonna walk over to the grocery store. <laughs> all right, so these are the emojis they sent you. What uh, are the most sexual fruits and vegetables? <laughs> <laughs> all three. So buy a cucumber, an eggplant, and a banana, just one of each. <laughs> Uh, and this this poor guy's trying to sell her the stuff and she's trying to buy it she she walks very very slowly she's very very careful getting there mm-hmm. and right as she's paying is when he like pumps up the vibrator yep she like collapses to her knees she's like trying not to make noise and trying to give him the money and it's uh, and he's like huh what the heck and then as she's leaving there, she encounters the mom and the kid, like the weird mom from the beginning oh, and the yeah. kid. <laughs> she's like, oh God. <laughs> she goes back to the toilet and the negatives are there. And wow, there's a lot of them, as we mentioned earlier. <laughs> like, briefcases full of money are smaller than this binder. It's just, it's like a huge professional briefcase. And she opens it up and it's like, there is so many negatives like probably maybe 50 ish per page and there's like a hundred pages it's nuts oh god if i i have never seen this much film in one place at one time (laughs) and the remote is there as well yeah so uh you know she started something he doesn't tell her to do this but she just kind of decides uh was already in the middle of uh, getting something going so she might as well finish she just cranks it up to the max. Uh, this has been quite a day. He has pushed her out of her safe zone. And to an extent, this is sort of what she wanted. Not exactly this. You know, She didn't want to be blackmailed into doing it. Yeah. But it does seem like, to an extent, she did want to have this sexual freedom. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of a fantasy. And she is getting off to it. Yeah, I mean, she's... Clearly, uh, she's clearly getting some enjoyment now. And I love just the afterglow of it, where she's at home sort of reveling in her own sensuality, where, you know, she showers for the first time instead of uh, kind of soaking sullenly in the bath, watching the rain. Mm-hmm. And, and and there's just her rubbing her face on all of these different soft surfaces <laughs> in the house. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was like, uh, 
uh, the the backs of chairs uh, some of uh, uh, Shigeki's Shigeku's uh, uh, coats and stuff <laughs> and uh, it does feel specifically like she's yearning for him because I think it's his chair his coats oh so is she, I guess she must be sexually attracted to this that seems to be the case all yeah. the looks of Danny DeVito and none of his personality. And he isn't reciprocating is the crazy thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's not reciprocating. So how can the guy be like, Hey, you're not in touch with your husband's feelings. She's fucking trying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really blame her. And I feel like the movie is generally on her side as well, because, you know, it spends 50 ish minutes with her, then eight minutes with him. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, let's see how she makes him come around. Yep. <laughs> so the blackmailer, Iguchi calls and he's like, listen, I kept one negative. Uh, I need you to call your doctor. Right. Right. Yeah. Then we see, we this see is where we finally doctor. see him. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, right. Right. We we cut to Sukamoto's distressed face. Yeah, as he's is this where he punches the mirror? Yes, this is okay. Because uh, she hangs up on him. She's like, I, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You you held one back. You lied to me. Yeah. Fuck. He punches the mirror, but she does go to see her doctor. And uh, yeah, we we see but don't hear the conversation that they have. Right, but she. Learns that she has breast cancer, essentially. And uh, the blackmailer does return the last negative with yep. a hamster, a pet hamster. <laughs> a little hamster in a box. Which, I don't know how he knew that she wanted a pet. Maybe it's something that he had talked about her, talked about with her on the phone previously. Because we know she wanted a pet earlier. Yeah, we know. Maybe, maybe and I don't think hanging he... out closer than we thought. I don't feel like he's able to get any audio. It, it does seem like he doesn't have any sort of audio set up. He's not ever taking video, for instance. Well, that's true. But he did talk to her a lot. Like It, it is through him that we learn about her father. So uh -huh. I, I guess he knows more about her than her husband does, probably. Yeah, that's. I just chalked that up to be <laughs> him being a stalker. I never even thought about the logistics of how he got the info. Because it doesn't seem like he was stalking her for any real length of time. It does seem like he just talked with her on the phone a whole lot and then started photographing her. Yeah. Because mm. most of the, the negatives when we see them, they're of singular events where he's just taken a lot of photos of like every frame, every second of it. <laughs> you know, it's it's. I wouldn't be surprised if the negatives were actually just uh, like the actual film reel. And these were actually just oh, frames yeah. of the film. I, I would say that that's very likely because it, it does feel like whole sequences of them. Although some of them are sequences that we don't see in the movie. Like the, oh, the original masturbation sequence. That's true. We don't see that. But a lot so, of it is stuff we do see like her in the back. True. Yeah. Like all, all of the subsequent stuff. And then yeah, could, this isn't the only binder of negatives he's going to send because <laughs> things continue from here we're, we're like not even halfway <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like here's all is what he really should have said is i'll send you all the negatives that i've collected so far so far i'll make more <laughs> after this well because at this point she's sort of into it she's looking through the negatives just sort of like 
looking through them and feeling her sensuality and like, yeah, I'm kind of into these maybe. <laughs> like, it's not just that she got them back. She's kind of happy to have them to look at. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I mean, they're very, they're, they're flattering photos too. You could look at these and be like, oh shit. I they're good hot. action. Yeah. They're, they're good action photography. Mm-hmm. So she's looking through the negatives and the secret phone rings. And he's like, all right, I, I, I will answer it. And maybe, maybe don't hate this guy so much. He did give the last negative back. <laughs> he's not blackmailing me anymore. Yeah. And also he seemed to know that she had breast cancer somehow. So, so she does want to know how he figured that. I was like, how did you know what, what was, uh, I, I, she hasn't phrased it yet. No one's actually yeah. outright said breast cancer. It's like, how did you know I have that illness? Or uh, how did you know about my illness? Uh, it was, what was it, like an indentation in her breast that he found when he was looking at the photos? Yeah, although, he, again, he doesn't say it outright yet. He just, he's like, well, I, I recognized it because, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, I I bought all of these books on cancer and uh, you know, uh, I've been dying of cancer and I just uh, heavily studied all of the imagery. So, you know, I'm very good at recognizing it. Mm-hmm. And he drove a nail through his hand during the thing. Just yeah, to, to, to keep his attention, I guess. Yeah. To, to, to take his mind off of the pain uh, in his stomach and it didn't work. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> so things well, are going my great with him. And my hand both hurt. Great. And she gets mad and tells him off. It's like, yeah. you're dying. Why don't you do it alone and peacefully and hangs up on him? <laughs> yeah. I mean, harsh, but also she he did blackmail her. So maybe not he that did, harsh. Yeah. You know, I, I feel both ways because it cuts to him and hit with his bleeding bandaged hand and he just weeps. Yep. It's like I do sort of feel bad for him because I mean it was a weird choice to make, but his heart was in the right place <laughs> in a very strange sort of way. Yeah, I mean he's not he's not wrong about any of the crazy conclusions that he came to. Correct. And he continues to help her and like will go on to help her. She will reach out to him and realize later that it's like, wait, you were right all along and I I gotta hand it to you. <laughs> <laughs> so turns out. The thing about walking around the street with a dildo and me in a miniskirt. You know what? I did love it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> so she finally goes to talk to Shigeko about her breast cancer and that she's going to have to have a breast removed. And he does not take it well. You can't you can't remove your breast. That's ridiculous. Don't do that. That's that's mutilation. I, I no, I won't stand for it. And it's like, but you know, it'll it'll save my life. Is the thing. He's like, Look, I, I I can't believe that you're even talking about this. <laughs> and, and at this point, I'm like, dude, when have you cared about her boobs? Yeah, it doesn't seem like he's all that interested in them, anyways. Yeah. And then later on, they fight about cleaning, and he, there's that really. There's a part where he's trying to clean the drain and he pulls it up and it has a, a completely ludicrous amount of hair stuck in it. <laughs> like, like, like he's pulling up the swamp thing. It's completely ridiculous. And like, oh, you got a hamster without asking me? How, how dare you do that? You know, I'm allergic to everything. <laughs> yeah, here's where it's like, wow, she 
kind of kept the hamster secret from him for at least a while. Impressive. Presumably. Or she it just showed up in the house. It's like, what the hell is this? Where did this come from? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. I've had that happen where, like, I'll come home and uh, when I was living with my roommate who had just mm. got a cat uh, in Calgary, I... I would come home. I one day I started petting the cat, and I'm just petting and snuggling this cat, and I'm like looking at down at him. I'm like, "Hey, you're a different cat." And the Another cat, cat. That I, <laughs> and the cat that I thought I was snuggling comes around the corner, and it's like, "Okay, I guess we have two cats now." All right, bonus cats, bonus cat. So finally, we go to the man section. Right, we yeah. cut over to what's going on with Shigeku. Get sort of a little bit of insight into what's going on in his brain. He's a very weird guy. He is like this. <laughs> this, this felt like he would. They he was trying to have an "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" adventure. It's I, like it feels to me like an, a super compressed eyes wide shut where he ends up at this weird party and sees some really fucked up shit where he's blindfolded and dropped off somewhere and. We see that he's way too driven by his work. He's out with clients all night, but there's nothing sexual to it. He's just like out doing party stuff because he has to for, you know, uh, networking. Yeah, salaryman culture. If you're salary invited to culture. drink, you fucking go and you fucking drink. You gotta. You, you don't get to not do this. But too, too much of an extent with him because... We we find that he misses his mother's funeral doing this, right? Which is like that's that's, that's quite a bit. Uh, yeah, that's taken it too far. Yeah, and then we although we find out later that he wasn't he didn't even miss it for work. No, he just missed it because he didn't feel comfortable going because he's so withdrawn into himself. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is interesting that does sort of show where maybe they do have a bit of kinship is. A lot of the first bit of uh, our introduction to who the man section is him doing a lot of the same stuff as her, staring out windows at the rain, uh, a lot of the time just in various different places, hovering over her sleeping. Yeah. He does the same thing. Yep. So it, it comes through his section that she has not gone in for the operation. Uh, she's sort of tells him in which is totally untrue it's like oh I, I, it kind of wasn't needed after all yeah he or no it's, it's she who picks up the phone and then puts it back down when the doctor calls back about it right yes or is it he i'm not sure i i someone think, does i think it might be her she does seem to have just decided that she's not going to do it she she's waiting for him to come around mm-hmm because this is the part where it's from his perspective, and I'm not sure at what point she calls Iguchi to... It's like, you need to help me fix my husband. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's at the door of... I don't know, she has this little roof hut or something, and one of the photographs is uh, like creased and out in the rain in the door, and he picks it up and is like, what? what the heck is this? Right. What was this a photograph of again? It's just one of the photos from the initial blackmail oh, okay. package. So it's one of the masturbation or the short skirt ones. I'm not right. sure which. Right. But Iguchi starts calling him. And they sort of can relate to each other. The obsessive cleanings, like, oh, yeah, I 
Gucci's like, I, I totally get it, man. I did that too. <laughs> yeah. And the impression that I got from this is that he might have cancer too, because it sounds like he had to take the same medicine that Iguchi took. It's possible. Because but... he's saying the thing about how um, you can't stand the smell of your own shit and you can't uh, stand, uh, you're, you're like extremely sensitive to smells. I'm like, yeah, oh, I've been there. Okay, yeah, maybe it's just maybe they're just talking about stuff they take so that your shit don't stink. I think it might just be that they both have severe OCD of some sort. That could be. I mean, yeah, we because that certainly seen... tracks with our guy, our, our yep. Shigeiku. Yep. And with uh, you know that that all of his thing was photographing still lives, obsessively photographing still objects over and over and over again. That does feel like we're sort of setting up and obsessive personality mm-hmm. well i mean we saw the gigantic briefcase of negatives yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> you don't do that if you're not a little obsessed right so Iguchi drugs shigeku's water at the cafe he's like yeah do you, do you notice did you the the water at the cafe uh taste a little different and then he like collapses in an alley yeah, I just love that as soon as he hears that, he collapses. <laughs> He's like, uh-oh, boom. <laughs> so he wakes up in this room with his hands chained at his back, and he's got this viewing cone on his head. <laughs> this is where it gets real crazy. This is where I was like, did we cut into another movie? <laughs> it has to be these weird people that uh iguchi is associated with or that he knows through his photography work or something because it is faked it's an act but they have all these kidnapped businessmen with cones on your face like it isn't just shigeiku (laughs) (laughs) i i wonder i wonder if the other guys are there willingly and it's just part of the part of the thing it could be I like to get off by being chained up and having a pylon on my face. But it's weird because it, it feels like they're like all of them are chained up and you see them looking around frantically, uh, especially when they open it up and they put the lights on them and you can see where they're looking based on where the spotlights are. Mm. And all of them seem very nervous. So I kind of think all of them have been abducted for some reason. <laughs> Iguchi's uh, <laughs> sexual liberation blackmail cam. Right, but it doesn't seem to be entirely his thing. It seems no. to be a thing related to some people he knows. Is like, you know, it would be good. We can start by putting him into their thing, and and then <laughs> he'll he'll develop from there. <laughs> yeah, um, it it doesn't quite feel like an eyes wide shut party because I don't think I don't think anyone there. It's hard to say if they did come willingly or not. It just feels like a weird, just a weird thing. I don't, I don't get this. It's cool because it seems like they've abducted a bunch of fairly rich businessmen. It's it's sort of an an inversion of the eyes wide shut thing where they're watching what seems to be a forced sex act, but will will sort of flash later to realize that these people are actors who are just sort of doing this. Maybe they're getting off by making all these uh, (laughs) rich businessmen tied up, watch them. (laughs) And and with the cone in their face, you can tell exactly where they're looking at any given time. Exactly. And they're put in this 
it's weird. It's like the the bath, you know, it's the bathroom, the porthole, the circular window. Yeah. They've got a circular window in the wall where they're placed. The two people who are having sex are placed in it and they seem to be drowned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I didn't realize this was fake at first. No. Well, you're you're supposed to be with. Uh, Shigeku in the moment where it's like what is going on here and then later on you see it again or you say some of the same people again because Shigeku ends up in the in the drowning uh, bubble himself yeah <laughs> so then you know we, we see the apparent drowning and then he's let out of a car in an alley somewhere blindfolded in the rain and at work the next day he calls someone about potentially investigating his wife oh yeah like a uh... We, well, we don't see who he calls. We don't. Fi- I don't think we ever find out, like a private investigator, maybe. Yeah, I have no idea because nothing really comes of it. He, I mean, she wants him to find out. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's like laying a cra- uh, a trail of breadcrumbs for him to find out because there. This is a plot for him to have some sort of awakening. Uh-huh. So this is chapter three, where we have the female symbol with two male symbols coming out of it and just a coursing with colors. Yeah, this is like the only color thing. Yeah. Well, it's it's the bisexual lighting thing. Mm-hmm. And we see Iguchi writhing in pain on the floor from his, I guess he has stomach cancer. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I took away from it. And he calls up Rinka and she asks him for a favor. We don't hear what it is although <laughs> obviously it's you know we, we got to deal with shigeyaku we, we got to get him around yeah yeah because clearly uh this isn't a divorce the loser movie we see shigeyaku just lurking outside in the rain looking at someone i i don't really get what his deal is exactly here but the police come maybe that whole kidnapping thing caused him to realize that he's that he's a voyeur, that he like that he's a peeping yeah. tom. I do think there is definitely supposed to be an element where it awakened something in him, and it was intended to awaken something in him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he starts following Rinka voyeuristically, where she goes on the confident version of the blackmail walk, and it's so great. <laughs> it's awesome because I, I thought. Like like I had said before, I thought we were just seeing a different perspective of the original walk, and we were just flashing back. But no, she's doing it again, but doing it like on her terms. Yeah, having the fun with it. That it's it's her doing what she really wanted. It's her actually enjoying it. She puts on the mini skirt. She puts in the vibrator, and she has the control. She has the remote herself. Yep. She's not shy about using it. No. And she she does the whole walk through the department store. When she gets to the perfume counter, she kind of uh, very saucily leans down. She has the umbrella and she keeps it in front, but she's sort of like swinging it around and sort of making a show of it. <laughs> it's awesome. It's so great. It rules. <laughs> and when she goes uh, past the grocery seller at the end, she winks at him and he drops all of his vegetables. <laughs> And then she she uses the vibrator in the bathroom and then outside in the rain in an alley. Oh, yeah. And, and he's following her the whole time. Yeah. 
And then there's like a nighttime thing where she is dancing and stripping completely nude out in just torrential downpour. Yep. Well, there's uh, well, a car is photographing her. She's doing a show basically for this car with the big, loud flash camera. Yeah, it's it is a Gucci with his his big camera with the flash uh, taking tons and tons of photographs and. Uh, uh, Shigeyaku is watching and finally like he's turned on he starts masturbating yep while watching <laughs> but we we cut to Iguchi in the car and he realizes that he's like wait a second she still hasn't had the operation yet yeah what the fuck <laughs> oh right yeah there's that whole other thing that has to happen right yeah, so I forgot about that we're, we're pretty close though so mm. uh the with her stripping and nude and you know she's masturbating in the rain and she sees Shigeyaku and they're finally seeing each other literally as sexual beings mm-hmm. and it cuts to them having a really happy friendly dinner together they've they've broken the dam <laughs> <laughs> it's it's i think it's the first scene in the movie where people smile at each other the entire time i think you're right because when that woman shows up to thank her for her counseling, she sure isn't smiling. No. <laughs> so at, at one hour into the movie, it's the first time anyone is happy and smiling at each other. Thank you for keeping my son from killing himself. I guess <laughs> I have to look after him some more. Thanks. So Shigeyaku finds the negatives because they're hard to overlook. They're a huge briefcase. <laughs> it's gigantic. And there's there's a ton of them. So he calls up Iguchi and he's like, there has to be more than this. Uh, you, you there, it, It's got to be worse than this. The the little bit that you have here, you must be keeping back tons more. You, you seem to have something over her. I want to buy every photo you have. Uh-huh. And he goes wandering, talking on the phone because he's been directed to it's this disused industrial area, which feels quite a bit like the location of Tetsuo. <laughs> gotta love the disused industrial areas in the uh, Tsukamoto films. You gotta have them. And he finds the negatives just sitting on the floor. And then Ichigo on the phone is like, oh, watch out. And then he runs up and attacks and like, kicks him in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, he's got like these uh, steel toed boots. Uh, I don't know if he does. Uh, he He just like kicks him over. He's, in the, he's in a bit of an outfit that we don't really get an, uh, a good idea of yet, but he gets Shigeyaku to strip down. He kisses his cheek, <laughs> slaps him around a little bit. He's got like this Dr. Octopus thing going on, though. <laughs> his prehensile robot penis. Oh, I don't really that- know how it works exactly, but yeah, it comes out of his midsection. It wraps around Shigeyaku. It's like, <laughs> it's like oh, I don't know at what point he built a, a robot dick to give him the welcome home brother Charles treatment, but I guess that's what's <laughs> happening now. He's getting robot dicked. <laughs> well, you know, it turns out he's not t- dying of cancer. He's becoming Tetsuo the Iron Man. I guess so. And he he wraps his dick around uh, Shigeku's <laughs> throat and he starts ripping into him. It's like, how could you be such an asshole? Let your wife get her breast removed. You don't want her to die of breast cancer. I have cancer and it really sucks. It's a bad way to die. Do you want that? Oh my God, you do want that. Be 
be beautiful and die young, you're a piece of shit. Yeah, and he's like, you know how nuns have the highest instances of breast cancer? It's because of the repression of bodily desires, and you forced that on her, so it's your fault to begin with. I don't know how true that is, but I don't know uh, if that's that true. sounds kind of... That's that sounds like a bit of a pseudoscience, but anyway, he 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 pours motor oil all over him. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, here I'm flashing back to Always Sunny when Danny DeVito is like covered in black tar. Oh, it's, in his it's underwear. yeah. And I'm like, he kicks <laughs> he kicks him over. He's covered in oil. He's taking a bunch of pictures of him. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, did you do this on purpose? No, this movie must have come out first. Uh, yeah, this is right around the time, probably before, maybe the same year that DeVito joined Always Sunny, because it's 2002. It's early. <laughs> and he, he's saying, like, I'm going to marry Rinka. I'll treat her right. <laughs> <laughs> and Shigeku wakes up in the drowning chamber. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he has a flashback of Rinka nude in the rain. You know, his sexual awakening. Yeah. He's like, really huge sexual awakening. Holy shit, I married a hottie. How did I somehow <laughs> like, not know this? How did I blow this? What am I doing here? I, which, again, you know, it's the Tom Cruise moment at the end of uh, Eyes Wide Chen. Like, what the hell am I doing? How did I screw this up? What's wrong with me? Uh, and we, we, we go to Ichigo in his apartment, and he takes a couple self-portraits, and he finds this camera that he made as a kid. And he takes two pictures. There's one with him in it, and there's one of the empty room with him not in it. Right. Um, I couldn't figure out the significance of this, though. He's dying of cancer. Well, He's preparing for his own absence. This is the room without him. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's sort of reflective of the final image of the movie as well, where we, we finally get back to the apartment and things are pretty good. Rinka is cooking Shigeyaku's favorite meal. Some peppers stuffed with meat and Chigo calls up to say goodbye to her and I guess this is all the same night because Shigeyaku is soaking wet and I guess it's him having just gotten out of the drowning chamber and we had seen the actors who had been supposedly drowned the other time watching him drown this time <laughs> he could just be soaking wet because he was outside in the rain though it could be but it, it seems to be him still amped up about uh, what happened with uh, the the robo dick and he's he thinks Ichigo's in the apartment now uh, to get with Rinka because he's saying well I'm going to tra take care of her I'm going to treat her right because <clears throat> you can't so he's rushing back to the apartment thinking he's going to find her cheating on him with Ichigo because he has this whole setup where he was going to buy more photos because he thinks there's got to be lots more of them and much worse stuff, which yeah, is not true. No. So he he tackles a cop and steals his gun. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just goes fully amplified. We get a bit of bullet ballet in there. Yeah. And he he bursts in the door and there's an empty coat of his on the wall that she's gotten back from the dry cleaners and the shoulder of it is peeking around a corner and he shoots it because he thinks it's uh, Ichigo. Yeah. <laughs> and she just kind of like peeks around the corner and like, uh, it's just me. <laughs> I thought that 
she was going to end up having got shot by that. It did kind of feel like it was going to be that. I mean, it, it could have been a weird magical thing where she gets shot in the breast and she doesn't have the cancer anymore. Oh, but... shot the cancer and you're to blame. <laughs> but uh, and it no, would they... also be a weird parallel, another parallel with our second movie. Right. So it they they make up and there's this sort of weird kind of magical flash forward thing where he kisses the scar of the removed breast, which seems like a flash forward in time, but then he kisses her, like he, he goes back up and they, they kiss and they're in tears and he goes back down and the breast is whole again. Uh, I, where I, and, and they finally have sex and that's the end. Uh, I, I would say that this is sort of metaphorical in a couple of ways that it's uh, she is made whole finally by the sexuality and his love. I think it's also him being like, okay, yes, I can let my girl or my wife cut off her breast in order to not die. I, I can get yeah. over this. Yeah, it's clearly him having made amends with it, and it's a thing where now she will be able to get it done, and it's not going to be a conflict between them anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also, she is still whole. Uh, he makes her whole, and that uh, the... The, the breast is relatively unimportant. Mm-hmm. So that is the conclusion of that one. And we're we're going to also talk about Adventure of Denchu Kozo. But uh, before we, we get into that one, uh, some some any any concluding thoughts on Snake of June? Now that we've kind of gone through it, do, do you kind of feel like some of the gaps have been filled? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean... No, I think I think I actually did understand everything correctly. I was just like, is that right? Is that what's going on? I think maybe just a little bit of the setup in the beginning and then the eyes wide shut party, which Well the Shigeyaku stuff is very compressed. You go through a whole lot of events and you get them just very shorthand. Yeah, it's like you said, it is really only about eight minutes for all of that stuff to happen. Yeah. They very, very heavily compress it down because he's not the main character. He is more of just someone who needs to change uh, so that the main character can live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, please. I, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. There was there there were parts that resonated with me, parts that didn't, and parts that are uh, going to as I digested a little bit more. Right. I would put it in my upper tier. Like I, I think maybe third or fourth favorite Tsukamoto uh, so far. It's it's way up there for me. I, I like this one a lot. I haven't decided where it's going to go in, Fair enough. in my list here. So we decided to also fill in another gap earlier in the set. We skipped the adventure of Denchu Kozo on the first disc, which is uh, Tsukamoto's 1987 8mm sort of student film uh, which I feel like it had to have been a major influence on the matrix. We won't get too deep into all of the plot details, but I kind of want to go through just the basics. And this is such a fun little movie. It really is a lot of fun. It, it's like Tetsuo, the Iron Man, but for kids, maybe it feels like a missing link between Tetsuo and Haruko. It, it really does. It really does. Cause it's like super anime. It's got a very, elevated and ridiculous concept we've got hikari the denchikozu a the and denchikozu is a utility pole yeah he's got a a power line growing out of his back 
Yeah, but it's kind of shitty. It's it's very underdeveloped. He hasn't done much with it. Mm-hmm. And he's very heavily bullied. <laughs> yeah. A power line back. Ha ha. You got a power line. We're we're not weirded out enough to not bully you for this. But he's got this girlfriend who's a tough girl who uh sort of takes care of the bullies for him. I, I like when she's introduced, she's all silhouetted and she's got like her kendo stick and yeah. she's every anime tough girl ever. Yeah, she's Momo. She comes in, she beats up all the bullies, and he's like, "Oh, thank you so much. Uh, you, you, I, I, I love you so much. I'm going to give you a time machine." It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just this this uh, piece of electrical junk, like just a bunch of junk parts put together. Yeah, there's like a little mini keyboard and you know some stuff. It, it, it's uh, it's a weird time machine. It summons like this intergalactic time womb that you get in yeah well, you don't get in it takes it you. takes you it's like <laughs> it's like a cube that looks like it's made out of crumpled aluminum foil it has a vagina yeah which is where you get sucked in yeah and he he presses some buttons on he's like here i'll show you how it works and then it's just flying through the air at them he's like it's coming it's coming <laughs> <laughs> uh, traveling in this is done exactly how it's done in tetsuo with the iron man which i'd love yes yeah we, we got all that cool stop motion of just them riding things through the streets because the cyber vampires which were we were taken to the post-apocalyptic future 25 years uh from 87 so i guess it's let me see, uh, 92, uh, tw- 2012. Uh, We're looking at post-apocalyptic 2012, uh, ruled by the cyber cyborg vampires. The Shinsen Gumi vampires. <laughs> <laughs> the Shinsen Gumi vampires. Oh, man. That is the most anime thing ever. Oh, th- this is extremely anime, the whole thing. Uh, his, <laughs> his time womb arrives and he's bowing and going, sorry, sorry, and bonk, bonk, bonk <laughs> yeah, every time, the power pole. He, he's the one who's <laughs> destined to save the world, but he only has one attack, uh, which is an apologetic bow, which causes his power pole to bonk people on the head. Yeah, and he's, he saves Dr. Sariba, who we don't know yet is Momo. Yeah. It, You'd think he would know that that was her last name, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you'd think... Unless she got married and had a time. kid. Oh, but she gets married to him. She gets married to him. How does she not know? It... <laughs> well, well, she must know, but because she even says to him, "It's you've been right. taken 25 years into the future. Which And like, yeah, yeah, she knows. So yeah, it's sort of weird. Uh, the, the vampires try to attack the time womb thing, but it makes the clouds part because uh, we will learn that you know, it wasn't the machines. It was the the Shinsengumi vampires who blackened the sky. We don't know who struck first, Neo, if it was us or the machines. But we do know it was the Shinsengumi vampires that blackened the sky. <laughs> yeah, their their power source, Adam Jr., exploded and the, the sky was completely blackened. Oh, um, the Shinsengumi vampires who have taken over the whole world is four dudes from their high school. Right. This this happened 10 years earlier, so around 2002, they took over the high school, and then Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that's the most anime thing 
uh, of all just a, well first they took over the high school and then obviously the whole world uh they enslaved all of humanity i mean from there if you get if you're the head <laughs> of the student council you're pretty much right at the front door of the white house yeah so sariba uh, attaches a little light to the pole and starts flashing and he, he's starting to build up his power yep I, I really love the animated lightning effects every time we go to the school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, drawing lines coming down. Yeah. I, I love that shit. Uh, and, of course, the Tetsuo fast motion travel where the, the Shinsengumi vampires have, I don't know what it is. They're like these little bags that they put on, that they they stand on, and then they drive them around town. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be like a hovering junk I guess like so. a hover platform built out of junk, something like that. I, I, it, it definitely feels like some sort of Tetsuo esque construction. Mm-hmm. So they're developing Adam Special, the sequel to Adam Junior, uh, and they have this human Eve, who's developing in conjunction with Adam. Yeah, in a uh, test pod that is. I love it because it's so obviously the closet of one of their bedrooms. Right. And it's it's just overflowing with Tetsuo junk. Yeah. Uh, but but it, looks it, like... it it is it it is partially, I believe, the actual Tetsuo costume. Oh, okay, cool. Because when she's actually out in it, that is like the early like uh, part of the Tetsuo costume, but not in its full right. uh piece. So uh, the the point is they're going to grow this Eve. Adam special will come of age and then they'll cause eternal darkness. Yep, but they have to wait until the girl comes of age. And it's like, what the hell? Aren't humans supposed to come of age at 15? Hurry up and become an adult. Yeah, what is she, broken? (laughs) And meanwhile, we get Sariba and Hikari doing kind of their Yoda training. The uh, mile... uh, a montage of pylon training. <laughs> uh, I won't forget what Yoda said. She said, Luke, stay away from the darker side. So they go vampire hunting. They find Adam special in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great bit. They chop one of the vampires heads off and uh, <laughs> use it as a basketball. Like they're dribbling the head. <laughs> yep. But then, like, they throw it back on the neck, and it just, it's fine again. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's a vampire. <laughs> and the, the really mean vampire, the one who uh, was yelling about her not developing fast enough and will later uh, sexually assault Eve in her cocoon and ruin the vampires, mm-hmm. honestly, which is, he, he's hiding under the floor somehow, and he stabs her up through the floor in her foot. Okay, yep. <laughs> Uh, uh, Sariba. Mm-hmm. I, I guess he's in like a ghost form. I'm not really sure the mechanics of it because he's he seems to like rise up through the floor. <laughs> yeah, I should. Well, you know, maybe maybe it's part of the Shinsengumi vamp powers because we only I guess see the it vamp has to be. Well, I mean, no, <laughs> Shinsengumi couldn't do that, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, he 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 plunges one of his fingers into her neck, and they they burn up her. Her, her treasured notebook with all of her memories and photos. Oh, no. And then the other two of them, you know, leaving just the really mean one behind uh, with Eve and Adam, they go out to chase after them, mm-hmm. uh, chase after Sariba and Hikari. They take off. So he's he decides, like, ah, she seems of age enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
better have sex with her just to make sure. Yeah, so he, he does that and he bites her, of course, to make her a vampire. Yeah. But it's too soon, so he kind of ruins the, the Adam's special cycle. Yeah, because I guess they, they they didn't plan for redundancy. They didn't have a bunch of different Eves. They just had the one. No, I, I, I guess it's just a you have to develop them fully in conjunction. It takes a really long time. I mean, magic's like that. Yeah. If you're going to cast an Eternal Darkness spell, you really got to put some uh, elbow grease into it. Yeah, for sure. So they f- they try to fight uh, Hikari and Sariba, try to face off against the two other vampires. <laughs> but it turns out really ineffective, as it turns out. Even though they did all of this training and it sort of worked the first <laughs> time they ran into them, you know, he tries to hit them with it and it's like, yeah, you, you can't do any shit with this. Come on, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, like bonks him on the head and he just doesn't move. But the clouds part because, you know, the shit happening with Eve back at the place. Right. You know, he screwed up Adam Sr. or Adam Special. So it's like, ah, shit, we got to go figure out what's going on with that. And the previous Denshu Kozo shows up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's got like this wandering samurai outfit and like this really powerful looking electric pylon with all this stuff hanging off of it. So this is based on some real guy, like a, a, a very famous, uh, I think he's a samurai from the Edo period. <laughs> yeah. He, he said like, yeah, I just came back from the Edo period and found out there's no pylon kid here. What the hell? I, I find you goofing off 25 years in the future. What the hell's going on? <laughs> and he, he gives him a bunch of guidance about, you know the history of the there are denchu kozu boys through all of history and he's just got a huge powerful even though he's from the edo era <laughs> where obviously that didn't exist edo period power <laughs> poles but it's it's a more modern version than what uh, than what uh, hikari has all right now we're going to build all these poles in the ground you're not going to understand why and for like another 500 years so they, they finally go in. It's like, all right, it's time for our last stand with the Shinsengumi vampires. Adam fuses with Eve, or like the Adam special fuses with the Eve who is now vengeful because, you know, she's been attacked by the mean vampire. Yeah. And they basically become Tetsuo. Like, it is literally the Tetsuo costume. <laughs> yep. Sariba <laughs> uh, is pulled in and consumed by the monster. Because uh, it's sort of a vampire robot, I guess, because Vampire Eve. Yeah, it's it, it's a lot. <laughs> it is finally the moment where Hikari realizes that she was Momo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he finds... dies and he suddenly, it's it hits him. <laughs> well, he has to like read a bunch of pages from her burnt journal to figure it out. Right. And it's like, oh my god. Like, he has to basically read all the way back to the day he disappeared before he finally gets it it just it cannot be put together in his mind he is very slow but his grief makes the pole power up yeah it shoots a laser yeah and it just becomes way bigger it it like builds out it's got a bunch of stuff on it the the light stays on it stops flickering all the time Mm -hmm. but eve meanwhile she's doing her reader repulsa grow thing she becomes a giant woman (laughs) This is, like, straight out of Evangelion, where, like, a giant woman hatches out of a robot. (laughs) About Maybe about ten years before Evangelion was made, though. Yeah, she's uh, completely naked, she's the size of a skyscraper, and she's breathing smoke up into the sky. (laughs) Yep. 
so Hikari comes in, he brings the light. Yeah, this is what he's supposed to do as the Denchukozo. Yep. And all the cyber vampires just melt and explode into little bits. <laughs> <laughs> I love like his attack. He, he, it's still just a bow, like, I'm really sorry, Pope. They, you know, shatter into a thousand pieces and, <laughs> you know, a talking mouth that's just isolated. It's like, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the time womb shows up, and it's this girl who looks like Momo, but it's his daughter with Momo. <laughs> yeah. From the future, I guess. It's sort of a Terminator thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, he because he looks at her he, he, thinking it's Momo, so he goes to grab her, her breast. He's like, you're Momo, right? It's like, no, I'm your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and they do this weird thing where they go back in time through everything, holding hands until he's back there with Momo herself. Yeah. Because he's going to set things right. Not going to... He He's going to make sure that Teacher Sariva doesn't get murdered and have her book burned up. It's like, you're going to be married to her, remember? That's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you just had this revelation. You really are dim, Denshukozo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and he's, like, explaining all this stuff, and Momo's like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> like... Uh fine fine uh, we'll figure it out <laughs> uh and that is the end a really fun little uh, piece I- interesting to see a prehistoric uh sukumoto and the, the those end credits as you mentioned just with all of the different <laughs> types of people with power poles growing out of their backs yeah like like a watercolor storybook looking thing oh it's great it looks like a bill plimpton animation <laughs> Uh, pretty cool lots of fun yeah a, a nice little piece i'm glad we went back and got to it because uh definitely kind of a missing link in the stuff we've watched it really does feel like it fills in the gaps between uh haruko and tetsuo in terms of uh understanding where he was early in his career making those early films mm-hmm. yeah tetsuo really feels like a much more like a way way more refined version of this Yes. Uh, and also a much more intense version, a much more adult oh, version. Oh, this yes. feels kiddy. It this really feels intentionally does. very kiddy. Like, sure, we have like a giant naked woman stomping through the city, but it does feel like it's for kids. Yeah. You know, it's it's a <laughs> it's an electric pylon boy. It's a very silly <laughs> concept. Uh, intentionally so. But I do think genuinely that this was probably a significant inspiration on The Matrix. Oh, yeah. I mean... The, the sky being blackened is pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, almost word for word. And it, it just, like, it kind of has that look. They do have all the weird uh, body cyber tech stuff. It just feels like a, a, a an appropriate reference point. And I know they're into Japanese cinema, especially weird underground stuff. So it stands to reason. Mm-hmm. It's uh, very likely that they're familiar with Tsukamoto. Yeah. So, do you have any last thoughts before we move on to part two? Um, yeah, no, I'm good. We co- we covered two, two here. Uh, short ones, but two good ones. Indeed. All right, uh, on to part two. And we're back for part two. Uh, but before we get to our second film, I realize we forgot something. Uh, part of our protocol from uh, the main episode, we didn't say what the next movie was uh, that replaces Snake of June, uh, v, uh, you know, the box set challenge, of course. Of course, right. So the next film 
in the Solid Metal Nightmares box sounds, I'm going to be honest, it sounds rough. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I haven't read up on it. So it's a movie called Vital. It's about this medical student. He uh, he's the survivor of a uh, horrible car wreck. He, he miraculously survives, and then next day, you know, or you know, a couple days later, or whatever, he comes in to work on a cadaver, and it's his beloved girlfriend who was killed in the crash. The whole movie yeah. is the is him dissecting her. He devotes his entire emotional and. Uh, physical energy into the dissection it just becomes his whole life my understanding is yeah that's just kind of the whole movie oh boy so it sounds pretty brutal (laughs) (laughs) probably amazing though it should be very interesting so the curveball that i'm throwing here what we've got next potentially is ichi the killer which is a pretty successful i think it's one of the best known takashi miike films it uh It stars, uh, I'm not familiar with the the main, main guy. There's this guy, he is out to find the dude who killed his boss. And there's this sort of weird cost, like th- this guy's a really nasty Yakuza. And he's, he's out to uh, get revenge for whoever killed his boss. Right. As and, you do. Yeah. And there's this guy, Ichi the Killer, who seems to be the guy behind it. And he is just this really deranged costumed maniac. Okay. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, like, he's just like, he, he's like an attack dog. He he has no real sense of his own. Uh, the guy pulling the strings at the top is played by Shinya Tsukamoto. Oh. So it's like his big acting movie, like his, his major acting gig, one of the ones he's best known for outside of his own direction. It's a Takashi Miike film, uh, and it came out in 2001, the year right before A Snake of June. So uh, kind of an interesting one to potentially throw in there. Okay, yeah. Why don't we, why don't we put that one temporarily on top of the Tsukamoto box? Sure. And, and go from there. All right. Uh, so... Our main film, uh, or our second film this week, we're talking about Jean Roland for the first time in the podcast. I've certainly watched a whole bunch of his since we started, as the first time we're actually covering. Uh, it is the 1997 film Two Orphan Vampires, uh, which is pretty near the end of his career. Like it might be his last film. Uh, I looked at the list, and I think it is the last one, or 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 like you say, maybe one or two from the end. Uh, okay, no, there there are three more, and I have seen one of the I have seen the next one, uh, Dracula's Fiance, which was pretty fun actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have not seen there's there's one from two thousand seven and one from two thousand nine, which I have not seen. Uh, oh, but- okay. This one's really good. Uh, it's surprisingly close to his 70s style for being something from 1997. Yeah, it doesn't feel or look like a 1997 movie at all. Because he did a lot of vampire movies back in the day. Like, throughout the 70s, he did a ton of them. And they were mostly lesbian vampire movies. Like, <laughs> almost exclusively. <laughs> And always like a sympathy for the monster. It's usually like, eh, I mean, uh, sympathy for the undead, uh, sympathy for uh, all of the creatures of the night. 
Yeah. Okay. So this one definitely has a lot of that. We're definitely on. Well, we are supposed to be on the side of the girls, but man, the way they killed the father is actually really brutal. It it's really stuck with me. Yeah. It's it's a little haunting. He will throw something really hard somewhere in there. It's like, well, I mean, they they do still have to kill people to live. That is sort of what they do. Yeah. So I mean, it's all part of the curse. It's part of the package. They've got to right. It's why they always have to be hunted because they have to hunt. Yeah, and it goes back to also, you know, when they were originally uh, in uh, interacting with humans back in the day as goddesses, as Quetzalcoatl, and I can't remember the who the other one. Uh, I have it written. Down yeah, we'll we'll get to it when we get there. But you know, they, they were given blood sacrifice, so now they go out and take their own blood sacrifice. If you choose to believe what they're telling about themselves, that is. It does seem like they have died and been reborn many times, though. That does seem to be accurate. Uh, how much of it they accurately remember is hard to say. It does seem like there's a whole weird interweaving underworld of different ghouls and vampires and werewolves, and they all sort of interact in you know, the, the cemeteries of the night. But they all have their own turf, and they're not really interested in sharing it. Yeah, they're all like, oh, no, well, I'm a solitary creature of the night. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm a solitary creature of the night. Oh, well, the two orphan vampires are solitary creatures of the night together, but solitary from you. Oh, they're they're like a nation of two. It's like the Vonnegut Mother Night thing. They... they, they <laughs> They they go through everything together, and it doesn't really matter what the world throws at them. They they've always got to got each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they are in, in their mind, they are very separate, separated from everybody else. They they don't even believe they're on the same plane of reality as everybody else. And arguably, they're not. They do have a very strange biology, for one thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh... They don't follow standard vampire rules. Well, just that they can literally sustain each other with their own blood, like with each other's blood, even when both of them really need it. Yeah, that's that's OP. <laughs> I mean, if you could do that, you shouldn't ever have to go around killing people and you shouldn't. Maybe it's only like an emergency thing. It only works sometimes or once in a while, or maybe it's maybe it's a gamble. They're, they're not too clear about the specifics on how anybody's powers or anything works. No, and, and that's sort of not the point. It, it's a dream. No, it's, not. It's, it's not supposed to be uh, a whole thing. Uh, it, it's, it's supposed to be much more chill than that. You, you're just a, sort of experiencing the creatures of the night and getting all these weird hints of this whole ecosystem around them. And it is a really chill experience. And a good solid percentage of the movie's runtime is cool music playing while they walk around. Yeah, it's really relaxed. It's a, a lot of the same blue tint when you know you you get them in their hunting nighttime uh, when they can see because they're blind during the day. But uh, when the when the sun goes down, that's their hunting. So that their their time for hunting. So they get to go out and they they see. Only the blue. Mm -hmm. 
mm, the other people's sun make us makes us blind. But when it hides, we can see, and our light is black, and our light is blue. They talk exclusively like that. It's amazing. Mm. I, I would say that all creatures of the night in all uh, genre Len movies do kind of speak in uh, very flowery tones because they're sort of separate from humanity. There's one of my favorites is I think it's sympathy for the vampire, which I mean, that that's a mission statement for the whole genre and <laughs> filmography. Uh, and it, it's, it's kind of the Scott Pilgrim ending uh, where they meet the vampire. Like the, it's just heavily built up. There's these people who there's this cult who've captured them and they're going to feed them to their master. He's the vampire. He's the big guy. And they put him down in the crypt and it's like kind of nearing the climax of the movie. And it just kind of turns out that uh, the the main vampire, he's just a pretty good guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I, I don't want to eat you. I, I feel really bad about this whole thing. Uh, I'm just going to die and take all of my followers with me because this thing has just got completely out of control. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, he, he says it in a much more flowery way, but it is that's oh, it is exactly that kind of thing. It's like, oh, Dracula's not so bad after all. <laughs> One of the main things, like this has so much of the Roland stuff. It's a good entry point in a weird sort of way. I was surprised for a film this late in their career to have so much of the classic stuff. The one main thing that's missing is the classic Jean Roland beach and the the pier uh it's in so many of the other ones you're just never out on the beach and i think it's normandy hmm. oh, okay so many of his movies end on this exact same beach yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm not sure how they would end this one on a beach yeah well they don't they're... seem to go anywhere near there well because they're in paris here yeah. so it's it's the big city uh I, well partially in new york too yeah, there is a scene in New York. They do go there. Um, I do believe that they have died and come back a whole bunch of times. I'm just, I just think they yes anded themselves into being Aztec gods. It's hard to say. Uh, it, it, yeah, I, I love that. It's <laughs> ambiguous. Yeah, it's, it's it's meant to be ambiguous. It, it's true to them, so it's true because it's a dream, uh, <laughs> and it, it's it's. Uh, it's sort of an echo of one of his previous films. I think maybe uh, it's late eighties one lost in New York, which I think maybe even some of the shots are recycled from uh, it's, it's also two blind girls lost in New York uh, have sort of a weird orphan relationship. Uh, I, they're not vampires in that one though. Oh, okay. <laughs> that one's great. It's really great. <laughs> Yeah, so this one starts out, well, it just starts out with a cool music and atmospheric shots of a graveyard in the daytime, which you don't really see a whole lot of in movies. Oh, you do in Roland movies. Oh. <laughs> and he's spending a lot of time in cemeteries, uh, day and night. And and especially crossing over from day into night and seeing the difference. Oh. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of transition between day and night in this uh in this movie it's always either one or the other yeah there's one point where it where you see it transition well it's it's more about the contrast uh there there is one entire movie that kind of is specifically about that uh the iron rose where this uh couple go into a cemetery at night and <laughs> they go to have sex in one of the crypts 
and it's just it's a little weird and then they come back out and it is full night and they are lost in the cemetery at night and it's uh, a whole weird dream thing again i think they end up on the beach oh <laughs> oh yeah if it's a dream you can just always be on the beach exactly oh no i'm kind of sad we didn't get to the beach here yeah i i was kind of hoping to see it somewhere <laughs> but i i guess they they were really nowhere near it <laughs> after after spending a few minutes uh just chilling and looking at the cemetery we we finally see some characters uh, we get into the orphanage where we meet our doctor whose name i don't have written down yet dr dr dennery dr dennery that's it uh he is the best eye doctor in the business he's here to figure out why these orphan girls went blind and they seem to be the nuns seems to be all about just trying to get him to adopt these girls yeah, well, it, he seems to be the best person to take care of them. He's a doctor of eyes. They, uh, they, they really love the Louise and Henriette. They're they they care so much about them. <laughs> they care so much about them that they that they neglect the other girls in the orphanage. Oh yeah, to to a great degree. And then when they're gone, it's it's the poochy thing. It's like, oh, I wonder where <laughs> Louise and Henriette are it's exactly that like what are they doing right now (laughs) every time we cut to the sisters it's like oh well what's new to report with our girls oh nothing who cares about that what are henrietta louise up to gosh i I miss them she's like i would just love to see them one more time before i die (laughs) (laughs) yeah literally that but like every (laughs) night as she's doing the rounds oh i pray to god that there are no unfortunate mishaps and that I can see Henrietta and Louise. Well, God answers half of that wish. No, it's it's both. Uh, it, it's just, you know, it's it's the monkey's paw. Something tragic happens and she sees them and they're kind of tied in together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are really actually really taken with these girls, which kind of leads me to wonder... Some vampires have hypnosis powers. I wonder if they do, but they don't know it. Mm, I don't know. Because it's a weird sort of movie where they're constantly talking about what they can do. And everybody is sort of setting out. As soon as you meet them, they're like, okay, here's my power profile. This is what I'm about. (laughs) Basically, yeah. Because it's... it's, I'm the ghoul. My (laughs) deal is this. Yeah, I feel like maybe in the 90s, uh, Jean Roland was uh, playing some Final Fantasy, and he he kind of got into like, okay, well, we they show up, and you know, we, we compare stats, and we see uh, sort of what you know, we inspect each other, get an idea of uh, the the uh, the, uh, the the different creature values. <laughs> My power is dogs hate me. It's a terrible power. <laughs> it's a werewolf, sorta. Sorta. Just, just with the bad parts of being a wolf and none of the good stuff. Well, yeah, that's the the Roland sympathy for it. It's like, well, someone turned into a wolf. I don't know. I that that's hard to depict on film. Uh, I'm probably not going to do that. But uh, someone who just is afflicted with uh, all the problems of being a wolf, man. Yeah, yeah, that seems like my kind of jam. Yeah, that that is something that gets focused on a lot here. Is uh, how having cool undead powers actually kind of sucks to in the real world because you can't 
be part of the rest of the world. Well, and you're persecuted for it. Yeah. <laughs> this is the big thing is that you're persecuted for being different. Mm-hmm. Uh, with it all being primarily ladies of the night, I do wonder how much of it is supposed to be metaphorical about sex workers. I think at least somewhat it's got to be. I think it's uh, definitely sort of tied into the DNA of Roland. I mean, there are some of his films uh, do have pornographic cuts. Oh, so back in the day, because I mean, that, that's sort of the the gray area he worked in. He was making lesbian vampire movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, this, that's this how you get the get funding. There's, no, there's this... nudity, but no, no. Yeah, no, no this, fucking. This, this one's pretty light, honestly, uh, compared to our previous film, much less uh, explicit. <laughs> this one's much more of a dream. Mm. Although they are thirsty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll say it a lot. Usually that's uh, usually right before they're about to bite somebody. Mm-hmm. So the, the doctor meets the girls and is, of course, immediately taken with just how much they're wonderful little angels and perfect in every way and the nuns are like yeah well maybe if maybe if you adopt these girls with your special medical expertise you might be able to find a cure especially with them like really close at hand and the girls right away with the emotional manipulation they're like oh that would be wonderful oh but it's hopeless god wants us to be blind well, to a degree, that is true. I think that's their role. You know, they, they are blind during the day. That's what they're supposed to do. They're, they're only oh. allowed to see at night. Yeah, you know what? Oh my god. Okay, so I mentioned this in the chat, but keep forgetting that they're not faking being blind. Yeah, they, they really are blind, and I because they wander, they're running around at nighttime and really aren't. I keep forgetting that they actually are during the day. It's never an act. I don't think anything they do is an act. Even when they're being very sweet, it's because they're not in their hunting mode. That That's only oh. enabled during the night. So during the day, it's like, yeah, we're perfect angels. I mean, we're blind. What are we going to do? <laughs> our, their teeth only come out at night. Like how big kitties, when big hunting cats, yeah. when they're not in hunting mode, are just as cuddly as regular cats. Yeah, they're they're nocturnal animals. Oh shit! Okay, I all right. You know what? I get it. I'm that's that's consistent with uh, how they act in the movie. Yeah, yeah, and and it sort of fits with them going back to a point where they were sort of they, they were goddesses so they were beast creatures you know quetzalcoatl i think is a flying snake uh a, a, and i can't remember uh, whenever we get to it but uh both of them they, they were sort of quasi-human beast creatures so you know over over the years they've transitioned into human but they're still they, they still have like the genetic memories of their forms okay um yeah, that makes that makes sense. I, I still kind of like the idea that, well, I like both ideas. The fact that they that they were these gods in this past life, and that they've just done all these other past lives. But I also like the idea that they're making up the whole god thing. So I don't care which interpretation is right. I like them both. I I just like that they have this whole complex theology about themselves that. Uh, <laughs> 
because they need to be it's it's the the same metaphor as the feeding that if they are indeed gods belief is what sustains them and you know back in their day they were huge powerful sky gods because they had entire temples sacrificing people to them all day long so but you know they now they only exist because they believe that only they believe in each other. Only they believe in each other. They're the only ones feeding each other in terms of the belief. The blood is coming from one another. They're they're this nation of two. Okay, cool. I never thought about it that way, but oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of stuff to sort of dig into because it is all that dream logic and you're supposed to interpret it in a lot of different ways it's it's the it's the dali thing or the the bunyel uh, as we talked about with exterminating angel right right i think Rolen is in sort of the same tradition it's just he's kind of usually looked at as trashier because again mostly lesbian vampire <laughs> lesbian <laughs> vampires like lesbian vampires though me too this is why i have his whole filmography he's <laughs> a lot of really cool stuff and like even when it's not lesbian vampires there's something really weird about it uh there's zombie lake which is his nazi zombie movie and it's still sympathetic this you know <laughs> it was the evil townspeople who killed the nazis who actually were just trying to defect and they were pretty done with the whole war and so they rise out of the lake to get justified revenge it's so it's so crazy what a what a weird movie but at the same time there's also a part where they attack a girls volleyball team and you see their titties because <laughs> it's one of those that's right on the line and it was almost a movie made by jess franco instead of jean roland so you know the, these things they just overlap <laughs> all right <laughs> Man, okay, I, I think I do really got to dig into more genre lead. Oh, for sure. I, I think we'll have lots of fun watching more of his movies. So we're left to uh, we're left to wonder if the Doctor's going to adopt the kids or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the nuns are extremely hopeful. They're like, oh, you might just have a wonderful surprise tomorrow as, as she turns out the lights. And I guess and- it is tomorrow that he does i mean it, the flow of time is un unclear <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> he does end up what? adopting them in the future of the yeah. film <laughs> but first they go into the night yeah they yeah the nuns close the door so it's time to sneak out they see from the window a dog in the graveyard so they're going to go play with the dog and it's important because they see Oh yeah. Oh right. Yeah. They see. They they have this whole thing. It's like ah, the sun has fallen and we see again. I see you. Yeah. Our our oh. colors are blue and black. They they do the whole thing. Yeah. How good it is to breathe our daylight. Right. Uh, and it it really poeticizes the vampire thing, but in a much different way from Anne Rice. Uh, you know, because like this is him coming back to the his vampire thing for the first time in quite a while i think the last one was back in the 70s with fascination which is okay 79 i watched that one last october that's pretty cool uh but uh this is the first time he's done them since the Anne rice vampire erotica explosion right the interview with the vampire and vampire lestat and all of that uh, i still gotta watch those or read those or 
I, uh, I don't know. Maybe you don't really need to. I read all of them no. when I was really young, and they're they're kind of fun. They're very gay. Like <laughs> all of the vampires are very gay, uh, or well, very bisexual. Uh, the first interview with the vampire movie, it's interesting, very horny. I mean, it's got Tom Cruise <laughs> and Brad Pitt as the vampires, as I recall. Oh yeah. right, yeah. And I think it's maybe Kirsten Dunst is one of the, is the the young girl one. I don't know. Oh, it's wow. it's years since I've watched it, but I don't remember it being great. And that was coming <laughs> off me reading the novels as a kid and loving them. And then oh, really? Queen of the Damned, the vampire Lestat uh, adaptation <laughs> is terrible, flat out bad. <laughs> I had the sound. I never saw the movie, but I had the soundtrack and I loved it. Oh yeah, no great soundtrack. Well. Hmm. Well, I don't know if it's a great soundtrack. It was a fun soundtrack at the time. There was some well, stuff on it. There, there are some tunes. Uh, weird collaborations, uh, as I yeah. recall. Yeah, yeah. But I, in the time he'd been away from the topic, uh, erotic or vampire erotica had suddenly become mainstream. So it's kind of fun to have him digging back into the eroticism of the vampire, but doing it still his way they are still outcasts it's just in the night they have power mm-hmm. well yeah their power is they can see and they can do biting they they they're pretty overpowered they they can really tear someone to bits that's true <laughs> they, they're, they're gonna get chased down in the day but in the night you know nobody really messes with them unless it's another monster and usually there it's kind of just like hey this is my turf yeah, usually they always seem to just have an, kind of an unspoken understanding with the other monsters of just whoever was there first, and that's that. But none of them are willing to share. No, not a single nope. one of them. No, nope, never. And and they're given an opportunity to share themselves, but they don't want to either later on. Right. Um, I like the first time and a couple of times when they sneak out. It does like the whole cartoon, yeah, with like the scare chords, sneaking um, music. Yep, <laughs> just an extended sequence of them sneaking out, sneaking into the graveyard. Yep, and uh, getting to the graveyard. And here's where they first start talking about what they were or may have been in past lives. Like, what were we before now? They they do have a lot of uh, just they, they they're deep in their own mythology all the time. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, what we have been, who we are. <laughs> <laughs> World building. World building and uh, self mythologizing to su- sustain their own internal belief system, like the believing in one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they mentioned they they call their deaths mishaps. Uh, we had a mishap and then we died. It or... does kind of feel like they flash back to a couple of them here too, right? Do we get they do? Like, yeah, there, there's some shots of ways they have died before, and it seems pretty realistic for the characters we know and the way they live it seems like yeah that's probably a way they got killed that's some angry townspeople got them a couple times yeah yeah well they get chased by an angry townsperson here (laughs) Uh, this guy it's very sudden it just a honest just switch on a dime i mean he's right he's (laughs) right but he (laughs) he shouldn't be (laughs) 
uh, well, that's that's not for a bit yet. Right, uh, dream logic. Yeah. yeah. Here they're reminiscing about when they were uh, two blind vampires in New York. Right, which I think some of this is straight out of Lost in New York. That's cool. Yeah. And they, they attack a sketch artist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We don't see them get shot, but we see them wander, like, walk into this building wounded. They've both been shot in the chest. Right. And, uh, yeah, we watch them die. This is one of the... I think this is the only... Well, no, it's not the only time we watch them die because... Right. But we do we do spend a lot of time looking at their corpses like, yes, they are dead. Yeah, they they have been killed. But they, they'll rise again because this is what they do. They die and are reborn. Yeah. Their, their, their concern when they, they bring it up again is that they're worried that maybe this time they don't because, again, their pool of belief, which sustains them, which uh, allows for their resurrection, has dwindled. Oh, my God. Okay, so the belief thing just makes it make even more sense uh, later on when Henrietta is able to revive Louise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll have to. We'll have to talk about that. But yeah, they 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 mentioned like yeah they we always have mishaps and they always kill us. They always come after us. Don't they know we're just a dream? And if they knew that we were a dream, then they would love us for who we are. Well, I, I yeah that that's also sort of them recognizing their cinematic quality. That oh, come on if. If they were making movies of us, if if <laughs> we were up there with our name in lights, like, you know, whoever, right? Uh, <laughs> the, the people would love us. We we would be a sensation. We would have all this belief flowing in. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's true. I, I I think I like these people a lot more on the screen than I would if they were, you know, real life <laughs> blind vampires yes. chasing after me. True, true. But what a way to go. you know what uh it's especially like a cool ancient french cemetery to be honest oh god yeah it's it's not on the bottom of my list of ways i want to die oh there are much worse yeah oh yeah (laughs) oh uh underwater welding accidents i recently learned about yeah no that'd be terrifying yep there's a lot of bad ways to go Really this is. one, I'd put it kind of in an upper tier, honestly. Yeah, getting chased by two lesbian vampires and bit not the worst. Oh, so yeah, so while they're reminiscing about being on the bridge in New York, they're petting the stray dog. And for a merciful few minutes, I really thought they weren't going to kill the dog. Uh, but no, they, they do eat the dog because they're pretty hungry and they haven't really been able to get at any people recently, I guess. It, it does yeah. seem like they're i i guess it's just a matter of their hunting grounds are running short there there's just not a lot of people that they can get to in their small amount of turf yeah and of course you don't want to you don't want to eat the girls at the orphanage when you live there eventually people are going to figure it out yeah especially because you tend to come out of it with a lot of blood on you and you just leave it there because what are you gonna do you you used to be a god you're not gonna clean up come on Oh, oh man! Forget it. No, it's yeah. Cleaning up is always an afterthought to them. It's like, oh shit! I guess we should clean up. We're gonna be interacting with humans again. But most or, of the time, or, they're not too worried about it. They're just like, oh, we'll we'll just put something over it. Nah, people won't care. 
We, we just put oh, a hand that's... over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or lick it off of me. Oh, yeah, that too, of course. <laughs> but yeah, they're talking, it's like, so before we died, what did we do? Oh, we had a mishap. No, but before that, oh, we thirsted and we quenched our thirst. Ah, eat the dog. Right, they eat the dog. And it's the, the cemetery, It's the I think it's the gravedigger's dog. And he finds the dog. I think he finds them having killed the dog and is very upset. Right? Um, he finds the dead dog. Later. Oh, he finds like the, the dog, right. Yeah, but uh, he, do- he doesn't find them. Okay. Not this guy. A different guy does, but not this one. Yeah. <laughs> That fucking, just a random uh, guy who happened to be in the cemetery at the time hey those are creatures of the night <laughs> i better shoot them it's like hey it's like, chill out man it's like no for real look and they're eating his girlfriend like oh my god you were right <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> the, the chaotic energy of this movie at times it just it it does like you say with the do 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 it has that weird cartoon energy. It, it, it they have that elasticity of a cartoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the way out of the cemetery and back to the orphanage, they uh, reminisce about a different life that they had. Uh, this time, wandering through the train yard, and here's where we meet the she wolf character. Right, because that's her turf. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah, she's like, I'm the she-wolf. And they're all like, oh, do you turn into a werewolf? And she's like, no, I have other wolf powers. That actually, <laughs> not, not these days, you know. Yeah. Come on, times are tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, nobody believes me that I'm the she-wolf. And I can't really prove it, uh, except that the dogs know. Oh, yeah. they know. Yeah, dogs don't like me. They they really have a problem with me. But they they, they understand. It's like, well, that's mm-hmm. tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at the full moon, and the animal comes out. Yeah, and she can run wild. Maybe she can rampage. Maybe she does turn into a wolf on the full moon. And then just the rest of the time, she's restless at night, and all dogs hate her. Probably. I mean, not a great trade-off. <laughs> no, it's not. One night out of the year, you get, or one night out of the month. Oh my god, <laughs> I know how the moon works. I swear. Uh, one night out of the month, you get to have fun, and the rest of the time, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, so she, she, she's basically living uh, the life of uh, Rinka from <laughs> our first picture. Basically, only with more scars. Yeah. No, oh, I mean, oh, she's she, getting attacked by a lot of dogs. She gets, yeah, she, she shows them her scars. Um, she has a lot of dog attack scars. It happens a lot. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting continuity because they just killed a dog. Oh yeah, hey, it's a vengeance for the she wolf. Eh, I don't know. Well, I, I think that, you know they get. To, th- this is why they go meet her next. Oh yeah, but they hear the sound of dogs approaching, which of course makes the she wolf run away, and that's the end of that flashback. We don't see what happens to them or how they die. Yeah, I mean, presumably they, they were run down by a bunch of dogs. Presumably. So they get back to their room just in time for the sister to check up on them and, of course, pretend to be fast asleep. Yeah, uh, some don't deliver us from evil vibes in this section where they're just the two girls with the secret life at night in the nunnery. <laughs> As I was watching it, it's around this point I thought, what if they were those girls in a past life? 
Yeah, I mean that that totally tracks. They they would fit in with that. Although those girls had no recognition of the rest of uh, their powers. Although they they did seem to feel that they should be worshipped. They they did have a flair for the theatrical. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe when they did their whole self sacrifice thing, they got flung backward in time, and and the powers that be were like, "Whoa, that's some goddess shit right there." Maybe I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, so we find out that Dr. Dennery did indeed adopt them as uh, as it is the next day. And I guess in the in the vampire orphan dream world, adoptions happen really fast. Well, they, they really uh, on a fast track. They, they need those eyes back. So this this guy's going to and he's a busy man. He's a very important eye doctor. That's true. That's true. So they're off uh, to Paris. They're going to they, go to the big city. Yep. That's a tough place for a monster. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't get a lot of monsters in big cities in uh, genre land. Usually, they're in like crumbling castles on the verges of society. Well, yeah, because uh, the humans have the power right now. They they can hunt the monsters. Monsters are on the decline. Right. They're the they're the endangered species. So sympathy for the monsters. Sympathy for the vampire. Mm, yeah. Or Shiver of the Vampires, where the lesbian vampire pops out of the grandfather clock to grab the bride and <laughs> bring her in. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that one's my favorite, probably. Shiver of the Vampires, maybe top tier. Nice, nice. I do love how when he's showing the, the the eye doctor, when he's showing the girls around, he just kind of points to the living room and it's like, well, there's <laughs> the living room. There's three couches, or no, three chairs, a couch, a You'll get the hang of it. Yeah. It's like, uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll figure it out. He's not, <laughs> he's not a great dad. He's pretty absent. Uh, you know, he shows them around this one time and then there's maybe like one other time we see him before they eat him. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He shows them to the room. It's like, okay, well, I'll let you explore your room. Meanwhile, I'm going to go to bed, even though it's like 4 p.m. How are they to know? <laughs> I mean, if they were blind all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But also, he's a real old guy. I don't know. Maybe he's he's got a weird schedule. He, he works. <laughs> he does eye surgery at like five in the morning. Maybe. <laughs> no, actually, yeah, probably. Uh, he seems to have a schedule that uh, encourages sneaking out and going on adventures. Yeah, uh, they have a lot of free time to themselves in the night. Mm-hmm. Like randomly, he'll just be like, "Oh, I'm leaving tonight to go to a conference. I'll be gone all day. Uh, don't sneak out of the house and go on adventures in the graveyard." And he's not. Re- there's no one left behind to care for them, even though they're these blind girls who don't know their way around this new house. <laughs> I don't really know how he expects them to fend for themselves if they weren't vampires. Well, they told him they could. I guess And so. he's charmed by their angelic ways. They are very capable, mm-hmm. somehow. Well, <laughs> we see them playing, uh, we're jumping ahead a bit, but we see them playing dominoes at one point. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like feeling the dominoes to, yeah, it's kind of, kind of adorable to watch. But before that, uh, they sneak out of their room in the doctor's house. And here's where they say, like, this is one of my favorite lines. Our day for us is blue. The light for us is black. Other people's sun makes us blind. But when it is hidden, we can see. 
They'll never know the two blind orphans can see at night. So this is where they go looking for a new graveyard. It's it's time to find new turf. Yeah. Um, they mention uh, Henrietta's like, hey, I can feel one of our true homes nearby. Right. They, they can sense a graveyard in the vicinity. Mm-hmm. But who does it belong to? Well, first, we don't meet the Midnight Lady just yet. We're no. uh, We're just going to... We're just going to have an attack with a woman at this weird carna- abandoned carnival thing. Right. And yeah, they go to this weird, creepy circus carnival and the girl, <laughs> the woman there actually attacks them first. Is like, take those weird fake plastic Halloween teeth out of your mouth. It looks stupid. And like she chases them with a the stick. They pretend to trip and fall so that when she approaches, they can attack her. It was a hate crime. I mean, they were. She was discriminating against them. Yes. How do you know that's not their real teeth? And that's not a good reason to chase somebody with a stick. <laughs> I love what they say afterwards. Like after they eat her, it's good to be sticky with the lifeblood of this woman. Yeah, they 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 sort of revel in the eroticism of the blood too, and it's like, mm, that was really dear. great. Oh, this was. That made me feel very good. <laughs> and, and when they get back, here's where they're like hanging out outside the window while the while the guy's working in his study. Mm-hmm. And she's like, do you dare me to get naked and stand right outside the window? Oh my god, I do <laughs> dare you. <laughs> they're having fun. They're so having fun. They get naked. They like, they like cuddle. <laughs> and it always looks like he's just going to look up, but he never does. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's a dream, so yeah, yeah. they they can't get caught because this is them at the the height of their powers. And like, all right, we've we've got ourselves established in a new place. There's good food source. It's a city, so we can keep a low profile pretty easily. Yep, they're like renewed. They're into each otherness. Like Mm. as she gets naked, the other one's like, "I adore you." Right. Well, again. They are each other's only believers. They they gotta worship each other. Mm-hmm. It's here where they look at the the Aztec book, uh, and it's Murcielago, 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 uh, the bat god. Yeah. So uh, the uh, one the the bat and the snake, or the bat and the flying snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Quetzalcoatl. Well, I think we've actually mentioned on this show before. Oh, definitely. Well, Q the Winged Serpent is a really great movie from the 80s, uh, directed by Larry Cohen, who did the stuff. Oh. oh. And it's okay. it's Quetzalcoatl living in the top of the Chrysler building and just going out and picking off people from rooftops during the day. <laughs> oh, man. That sounds awesome. It's awesome. It's a great movie. <laughs> uh, right on. And yeah, they're they're looking at the book. They're reminiscing. Um, it's like, yeah, no, you're the bat god. I know it's you. And she's looking at it like, oh, you're right. It is me. I remember all this. Yeah. 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 I remember this now. Boy, remember this brings when... me back. Remember when yeah. we were worshipped like we were supposed to be? Yeah. Remember when they had like a hundred thousand human sacrifices and it was the most, the biggest voluntary holocaust of world history? Yeah, I remember that. It was the best. That rule. If 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 only we could be there again, and we could be uh, the ones on the top of the pyramid getting all the blood. Mm-hmm. Just like we once were. 
Yeah, and it's basically them having all these erotic fantasies of being worshipped uh, with blood sacrifice as gods, which makes a lot of sense as a vampire erotic fantasy. (laughs) Mm. It's the kind of thing you'd really dream about. (laughs) Yep. Uh, We have these three old biddies commenting on, oh, how how lovely it is that these blind girls get to go to church with sweet old Dr. Dennery. I like to imagine that these are the same ladies who in just a few minutes would go to the bank and uh, get caught up in Ma Barker's nonsense. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Although this is much later. This is the 90s. Yeah, but you know, the mythology. Let's and it's, uh, mythologize that in a past life. And it's Paris? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work at all. Not a little, not even a little bit. Although I'd love to see Ma Barker in France. All right, get on the fort. Floor Silvu plight. She would love to be uh, worshipped just the way oh these God. guys would. <laughs> Only 10,000 sacrifices? You think that's enough? I need more than that. Come on. Mama's worth more than that. Oh, you're right, Mama. So the next day they find out that the that the doctor basically just drops on them out of nowhere like, hey, I'm going out of town for a few days starting tonight. Uh, are you two blind girls who just got here going to be okay by yourselves? Yeah, you, you blind girls can take care of yourselves, I'm sure. You've got a handle on this. Don't worry about it. As it turns out, yeah, they got a handle on it. Look, oh, oh, they well, totally do. Well, sort of. I mean, this is also where they are starving. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess they weren't as equipped as they thought they were. But, you know, after that first night, they figured they had it in well in hand. Oh, yeah. I mean, first night, first kill. Obviously, every single kill is going to go just as smoothly as that. We're probably not going to have a bunch of turf wars every night, everywhere we go. <laughs> Definitely not. And and if he's going to be gone for like 24 hours or more, it's time for a big adventure. We can roam out real far, which they do. We spend a good several minutes just walk, watching them walk through like the back streets of Paris. Yeah, you know, they, they got to explore it. They got to yeah. get a good idea of their territory. This is... Uh, you know, they're new to the area, so they really want to understand their region. Mm-hmm. Uh, notable here is they're exploring during the daytime, so they're blind and they've got their canes and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find the biggest gravestone and decide to take a nap under that and wait for the nighttime. As you do. They do pass by this older couple and a younger couple making out in the cemetery. The older right. couple's like, oh, look at those blind girls. Right, and so those are, these are the people that they'll uh, come into conflict with when the sun goes down. Yes, uh, yeah, the sun goes down, they wake up, they can see this brand new cemetery for the very first time. They've never been here before. They certainly didn't see it when they were walking here, so they're euphoric. They're running, they're dancing, they're playing. <laughs> and the old guys are looking at, the old guy and girl are looking at them like, Yo, they're not really blind. They must be the spawn of hell. Well, yeah, they, they've changed now. They were originally blind, and suddenly now they're frolicking in the graveyard at night. And it's like, oh, that's weird. Uh, those are probably uh, evil vampires. One of those creatures of the night. We know there's tons of different creatures of the night in Paris. So we're all used to it. Yeah. And he immediately sets upon them, and then uh, <laughs> he warns the couple <laughs> yeah, right? well, the, the girlfriend of the couple is like, whoa, this old man is chasing these two girls. Uh, yeah. Boyfriend, do something. 
And he runs over to stop them, and he's like, no, no, you don't understand. They're creatures of the night. Look, they've got your girlfriend, and they're already biting her. Yeah, they're already biting her. They snuck up behind her while she was watching the boyfriend at the old man. And yeah, they're they're biting her. They got really ambitious. Like it's uh the the previous night they 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 played it close to the chest. It's like, "Ah, oh, we'll we'll just find one isolated person here." I'm like, "Yeah, we've got an audience. Whatever. We're rolling out tonight. We're we're new in town." Yeah, here they make a scene. Yeah. Which doesn't go good because they're getting chased. And here's where they escape into what they think is is an abandoned crypt. <laughs> But as they close the door behind him, they look and sitting on the crypt like a fucking throne. This is an amazing shot. It is a throne. It is her throne. She oh. is the Midnight Lady of Paris, right? <laughs> yeah, she is the Midnight Lady. She's got this purple spandex. She's got these huge, cool bat wings. And she's like, excuse me, this is my like, turf. Hey. Yeah, like, hey, this is my cemetery. You hunting on my territory? Like, I'll allow it tonight. Yeah. You are out of here first thing in the morning. Like, you can you can stay here till the heat dies down. I don't have any any uh, beef with you personally, but you got to leave in the morning and don't come back. <laughs> By the way, my deal is I'm the midnight yeah. lady. I fly over the graveyard and swoop down on my prey. And I'm a solitary creature who works alone. Yeah, so... I like to fly over the cemeteries at night. That, that's what I do. This is my cemetery. I come down. I uh, snatch them off the ground. That's my thing. Uh, you can't do it with me. This is my turf. You're going to have to move on. Yeah, well, we're the two orphan vampires. And I love how they're already the two orphan vampires. <laughs> yeah, they know the title of the movie. <laughs> and we bite. So watch out. They're like trying to be all tough and menacing. And she's just like, Whatever. It's a, you know, animal standoff. You get two cats and they, they, they need to look big at each other for a little bit first. Yeah, which she does not buy it for a second. She's just like, whatever, just be gone by sunrise. Don't wake yeah, me. Yeah, no. She's the top cat here. Yes. Nobody's messing with her. She even says, like, yeah, my vampire vampire powers are way better than yours, so don't even. Yeah. Yeah, come on. I, I I am the Midnight Lady of Paris. Who are you? I haven't met you. Two orphan vampires? Come on. Uh, you're, you're not even anywhere on my wavelength. Yeah, no, no. The two orphan vampires. <laughs> not just two orphan vampires. Ah, but they said that. That's self-mythologizing. Well, that's how they're going to create the myth. Right, no, it's vision board. That, yeah. That's how they sustain themselves. Yeah. So after leaving the Midnight Ladies thing in the morning, they're like, oh, man, we didn't get anything to eat and we're starving. Let's just drink each other. Yeah, we'll, we'll just uh, try a bit of each other's blood. And like, do you really think that'll work? And like, I don't know. I mean, we could try it. There's uh, no harm in it. So, you know, they, they it is sort of an erotic drinking of each oh. other's blood. Oh, yes. Oh, it, oh, it is. <laughs> That's very... But I, I just love the, you know, they, they have this whole thing and then, you know, the sun's coming up and I'm like, oh, OK, well, I'm glad we were able to have some blood. And I think that's working, but I'm feeling a little woozy and we're both covered in blood. What are we going to do about this? Like, I guess we should get some alcohol for the wounds <laughs> and maybe just for the day. <laughs> so the guy who sells the alcohol looks like he should be a character. And I even like sent a picture when he shows up. He's got like this 
maroon vest and he's got like a slick back hair and a goatee. He's a little chubby. And I said in the group chat, I'm like, I am either going to love this guy or despise him. But yeah, no, he's not a character. He's not a character. Uh, he's just an NPC. Roland, Roland is very good at uh, casting faces uh, <laughs> that just really have striking imagery in his movies. He's really good at casting people for a look oh. because that's really the most important thing in his movies. The vibe is there. Yeah. This guy, this guy looks like a person. Yeah. He, he's, he might just be a real shopkeeper who he ran into and is like, man, you got such a face. Can I just uh, do this one scene? <laughs> you know, like Herzog often does. Oh yeah. Right. Is that a <laughs> voltmeter? <laughs> you never even got those guys' names. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, you know what? I could see that. I could see that for this guy. Possible. But they they go in and they buy some brandy. And he's like, "Well, eh, you look kind of young, but yeah, it's Paris. Come on, I'll give you some brandy." <laughs> oh, he has no misgivings whatsoever. <laughs> sure, yes, brandy. What am I going to do? Not sell brandy to a child in Paris? I don't really know how old they're supposed to be. They are kind of timeless. I mean, technically they're supposed to be thousands of years old, but yeah, I, but they're treated like children. They look, I can't really tell. Honestly. Yeah. Teens, I guess is supposed to be generally the idea, but they yeah. definitely act much older than that. Well, and you know, they, they have their many years of many centuries of experience, their many lives of experience, but uh, yeah, I, I love this moment. They're like, Oh, sweet some brandy and they go back out to where they were drinking each other's blood well let's try some both drink some brandy they're both like you know it's daytime now it's bright they're blind like hey this is pretty good they just get hammered and they're like wandering the streets of paris drunken on brandy at dawn drunk and blind like literally blind blind drunk drunk. yeah (laughs) so good they're they're really having uh, uh, an escapade with uh, a stepdad out of town. <laughs> uh, they do make their way back to the house. They don't hide the evidence. No. They just dump the bottle of brandy on the yard. They don't close the gate behind them. And uh, they're blind. Come on, yeah. Who, who's going to blame them? <laughs> uh, well, fuck. Dad's home early though. They... Oh right, he's back early. Yep. And they, it's like, oh shit, they gotta hide in the bushes. He notices the gates open, and he notices the bottle of brandy, so what does he do? Uh, he pulls out a gun and uh, shoots it into the bushes. Mm-hmm. Like, a, like a sane person would do. Much like... Uh, yeah, like uh, uh, like is constantly happening all over the United States the last couple of weeks. Oh my god, yeah, I can't even... But this is France, though. <laughs> Anyway, and this happens. Yeah. This there there are there are vampires. You know, there are known quantity around here. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, he shoots it into the bushes, and then he's like, oh, "Must have been imagining things." Uh, as Henriette desperately carries Louise into the bedroom because she's been shot by this one stray bullet into the bushes, mm-hmm. and I, I I love like the contrast of this scene. He peeks in in their bedroom while they're pretending to be sleeping, uh, doing the whole like loving dad bit, like, oh, I love you little angels. And as soon as he closes the door, we get a dying in the arms scene. 
Yeah, although it's also, do you think I'll live again? Do you think I'm going to come back from this one? Like, eh, probably. I mean, we usually do, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> tell me who we were in a past life, and here's where they give the detailed description of the human sacrifices. Yeah, they're they're great fantasy of uh, the the peak of their belief. Uh, it's kind of them going back or regressing to uh, the the strongest point of belief to sustain her at a point of uh, a, a real low point where she really needs an extra boost. Yeah, so she's so Louise is drinking Henrietta's blood while she's listening to her go off about how awesome it was to have all these sacrifices. And all this blood like flowing down the steps and people are eating the hearts of the sacrifice victims. And wasn't it just the best? And they're like, yo, it was so good. And oh my God, I'm fine. I'm <laughs> healed. It, it was reminiscing about the good times and just uh, drinking a bit of your blood. You know, you're again, your belief sustained. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now that now that you mentioned the belief thing, this makes a lot more sense. Because uh, because it always just kind of looked like she just decided she was better after hearing the story. And <laughs> <laughs> like, it really looks like that. But mentioning the belief thing suddenly put that into perspective. Yeah, yeah it's, it's something we've talked about quite often in terms of, like, Nightmare on Elm Street and so forth. It's a tulpa sort of property. Mm-hmm. And that that's sort of the, the basis of all religion is the, the tulpa of the religion as an organization uh, gives it power. Right. But the morning is coming. The day is taking away my sight. Just and you're still pretty hungry. I mean, it's it's been a cu- tough couple days. It really has. And I mean, eating each other will keep you alive, but it can't be that satisfying. And now they have to worry about this doctor who just doesn't announce his schedule and comes home early when he says he's going to be gone for a few days. Who does that? You can't trust this guy. Oh, no, he's going to catch him if they're not careful. So so they discuss how to kill him and all their different plans. Yeah, it's like, how should we eat him? Uh, do you think... Uh, <laughs> it's like, hey, let, let's discuss some cooking options for uh, uh, dear old dad. I'm like, hmm, I think the best way. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's the next day that they descend upon him, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, they they're discussing... While they're getting drunk uh, off of, I guess, his brandy now, they're like, ah. Right, they found the liquor cabinet in the night. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's like, well, it's not as good as blood, but it's stronger. And they're like, well, what if we lit him on fire or smothered him with a pillow or, oh my god, we're so dumb. We could just suck his blood until he dies. Wow, why didn't we think of that? Like, ah, we should eat him. This solves two problems. (laughs) You're like, okay, yes, agreed. We will eat him. Let's let's go get that dealt with. Yeah. Uh, They're sneaking through his office and they find a a pulp crime book with uh, just a picture of blood everywhere on the wall. (laughs) They're looking at it. They're like, oh, this blood. It's like they found pornography. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, man, I'm into this. This blood. It is blood that is for us. It is our joy and our gluttony. And he comes up behind them. He's like, wow, I'm glad to see that your sight recovered so fast. And like, oh, it's the damnedest thing. Uh, it's it's kind of a miracle, really. We were going to tell uh, you on your birthday. <laughs> we we just needed to, because we, we weren't sure. We thought maybe it would go away and we wanted to just really make sure. And uh, hey, what's that over there? And they, they tackle him and eat him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's like, okay, well, 
I believe you unconditionally, and I'm sorry for doubting you for three seconds. <laughs> Let's have breakfast. And yeah, though th- they don't tackle him, she gets up and just buries a knife in his back suddenly while he's like oh, smiling right. and talking about whatever bullshit. And this really bothered, I don't know why this one bothered me so much because he wasn't expecting it at all. And the sound he makes and the sound it makes when the knife goes in and he doesn't. It's not unlike. The reality of the Heavenly Creatures story, which is uh, the Peter Jackson Heavenly Creatures, uh, which Don't Deliver Us From Evil, is also based on where it's these two girls who had this really crazy, elaborate fantasy life. It was a New Zealand true crime story, oh. I believe. And uh, they they just got completely obsessed with each other. And then uh, it, it started to become a thing where they were too much for each other and they they the parents were trying to keep them apart and they went on this hot springs trip with the mother of the one girl and they murdered the mom on the way there oh wow and it's just like that and it's it's one that's always haunted me i saw this movie years and years ago because it came out in the early 90s and i think i saw it relatively new and it's just them coming back from the the first time that she's had any sort of nice day with her mom and been kind of agreeable with her the whole movie and see in just a really nice mood and things are good and then they fucking hit her over the head with a rock and, <laughs> and it's like ooh jesus this has that sort of flavor where just suddenly the 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 switch turns and it's like well it's time to kill him and the knife goes in and it's a different flavor from everything else we've seen because all the other times they've bit them and it's been kind of heightened and vampiric here it's a stabbing it's you know a weapon yeah stabbing and he didn't see it coming and didn't suspect anything he didn't know he was in danger just suddenly he's eating his breakfast and just a knife is in his back now ah and he doesn't die right away he chases them up the stairs he does die pretty quickly yeah and and then they they can feed on him. Yeah, they feed on him. And then they have this plan. It's like, okay, well, we'll burn down the house. We'll blame it on a robber. And then we'll just say, well, we ran away. We're just two blind girls. What are we supposed to do? Yeah, shit. Yeah. Pretty fireproof. Yeah. And then we cut to the orphanage where, they're, where the two sisters are like, where's Poochie? Yeah, man, I miss them. <laughs> it's the whole thing like, oh, if only... I, I hope nothing bad goes wrong, and I also hope that I get to see them one more time before I die. And like the monkey paw closes, yeah, I get a feeling we'll like, see them well, very soon. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, well, what can we do? Or we're we're burning our house down, our adopted place. Where should we go? And like, I guess we got to go back to our own home, home turf. Let's head back to the orphanage. Yep. So, do they find the ghoul on the way there? They find the ghoul on the way to the orphanage. Right. Yeah, night falls and they just get to the cemetery and and they see this girl wandering around and they're like, wow, who's this weirdo? Oh, wait, I think she's like another one of us. And the ghoul is like, I'm the ghoul. My deal is I eat corpses. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, that's cool because we're not into corpses. So, you know, we, we could probably, uh, you know, share some space. That seems fine. They're like, no, I don't like people watching me eat. Get out of here. Get out, Get of, out here. of here. And she starts freaking out and she's like, this earth, there is so much death in this earth. Ow, ow. 
yeah so this is this is her place and she's like i like to eat dead people and i don't like anybody else around when i'm doing it's so get out of here she she like gets so mad at them for and it's it's just like a switch's turn she's just is... kind of calmly explaining her deal it's like okay this is what i'm about and they they just sort of suggest to share the space it's like no 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 i don't like <laughs> when people watch me eat <laughs> Like it's it's embarrassing being a ghoul. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess we'll we'll just carry on then. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, I probably should have told them that I'm never in the same place twice, and they can just come back and use this place <laughs> tomorrow and all the rest of the time. Oh, yeah, it's well. like I, I guess I could have told them they could come back another night. I, I'm not going to be back here, uh, but whatever. Awoo! Yeah, awoo! <laughs> she wolf. Yeah. You know that Shakira song? I didn't. No, you don't know that one? No. I just know <laughs> uh, her she hips goes, apparently are incapable of falsehoods. Yeah, she had a song later. I think it's like early 2000s uh, called She Wolf, where she goes, Ow, in, in the in the chorus. It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to them breaking into the orphanage, like sneaking around past the sisters. They go into this one room to see this sick little girl, uh, Veronica or Victoria or something like that. And she's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's just the sweetest little darling. And they were planning to eat her, but they can't because she's just so adorable. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> Aztec goddesses? Human sacrifices? Oh, I'm down. I'll be a human sacrifice. And they're like, oh, we can't do that. We She's so nice. We kind of love her. We, we, we kind of wish she was one of us. Yeah. And I'm like, ah. We we can't get rid of a believer. Let's go find some brats. Yeah, so they, <laughs> they go find these girls who are smoking in the laundry room. And they eat both of them. Well, first they they take their cigarettes and... Well, yeah. Yeah. Because they're the cooler bad girls. Of course. They're the bad girls before they were bad girls. Yeah. I, I think it's funny that like the smoking girls are like, who are you? We've never seen you around here before. <laughs> yeah, even though I think they've only been away for a couple days. It would have only been... At most, it would have been a few weeks. And they were like the darlings of the orphanage. There's no way these girls don't know who they are. Yeah, it's, well, again, it's that weird dream logic where it could be any amount of time because time has no meaning whatsoever. For all we know, it could have taken them six months to get from the doctor's house to the orphanage. Could have. There could have been countless adventures. Maybe they got lost in New York again. Oh, maybe. (laughs) <laughs> maybe it wasn't a flashback but a flash forward could be it could be a future life maybe they're remembering the future yeah it seems like something they'd be able to do yeah but anyway you know <laughs> these two the, the two brat girls they eat them and then the nuns who were really wanting to see them again yeah uh, they they open the door to find uh, the orphan girls with the two get dead girls cradled in their laps. Yep, the brutal, grisly death scene. They're like covered in blood. The girls. And they're just chilling. Yeah, <laughs> they're chilling for a while before they get up and walk away or run yep. away. Well, you know they they had a lot to eat. They just yeah, need don't to wanna... sit down and digest for a second. Yeah, you don't want to be getting up right away. Holy. Well, and especially because they've been sort of short on food supply lately. I mean, they did eat the dad, but you know they they were kind of sustained by each other for a couple of days there. Yeah, and who knows how many on the way because they they couldn't stop at the ghoul's graveyard. I, I got a feeling <laughs> they didn't really get to eat on the way. Yeah, yeah, 
Uh, so the, the nun says, like, one of the first sensible things that anybody has said so far is, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, <laughs> and I was like, to call the police. I forgot the police were a thing in this world. I'm not even It's joking. a crazy. No, I absolutely. It's a crazy thing to hear in a general Len movie. It's like the, the police. Isn't this a dream? <laughs> you can't call the police on monsters. You have to deal with it using monster rules. The, the, you can't call the police to show up in your dream. No. <laughs> you need the dream police for that. Yep. <laughs> and that's pretty much it, right? <laughs> uh, not quite. We do oh, okay. have one more bit. They're hiding in a barn and they find they're like, oh, man, we really blew it. We're really losing it. Who are we for real? I don't know. Maybe we're not anybody. We're the two orphan vampires is yeah. what we are. Yeah, we're the two orphan vampires. I don't know if we're gods or not. And then the world's most helpful farmhand comes along. And it's like, hey, aren't you guys the two orphan vampires from the radio? And it's like, oh, yeah, no, we are Quetzalcoatl and uh, uh, the, the bat one. Mercy Lago. Mercy Lago. And, and uh, the, it's it's the lady, right? Yeah, yeah. Was, is, yeah, and, and she's like, oh, don't worry, I... I I totally am not going to tell anyone on you. I, I think you guys are great. Uh, I, I'm here to help. Yeah. So how can I help you? <laughs> yeah. It's like, are you going to eat me if I get closer? They're like, not you. No, no, we won't eat you. He's like, no, you seem cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, I can, uh, I can guide you to, uh, to a cemetery. I know where there is one. Oh. Find you a safe place. I'm like, oh, that, that would be really yeah, great. Be awesome. Thank you. Uh, can I go with you? No, absolutely not. We're the two orphan vampires. <laughs> it's 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 just two of us. Uh, but, you know, uh, we, we appreciate your patronage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your belief in us. Yeah. But who should find them as they're going to this safe cemetery? But the old couple from the other cemetery, the one who was chasing them. Yeah, I mean they're they're out on a cemetery tour. I, I guess, guess. I, I guess they're not far from Paris. They were able to walk. Yeah, here. Who, who knows how long it's been? <laughs> well, they can't be that far because because it's the same old guys, right? But again, dream. I mean, who you knows? know, traveling could be traveling. Yeah, but this time he's equipped with a rifle and he's chasing after them and shooting them, and he gets Henrietta. Right. And so they're, she's dying in her arms on the side of the, the river, in the reeds. Yep, and the farmhand's like, oh my god, what do I do? It's like, what's going on? Aren't you supposed to be goddesses? Uh, yeah, but you know what the thing about Aztec goddesses is that sets them apart from the other ones is they can die. Yeah, we, we gotta die sometimes. It's a thing we do. We, we have to die and be reborn. It sucks. We don't like it very much, but... You know, hopefully we'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two orphan girls roar in the night like a flame, and so no one can touch them. We will return. We will be the thunder and tempest. <laughs> but please make sure they don't find our bodies. Yeah, we, we, we'll we'll just resurrect. Just to, you know, hide us. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> and they disappear, yeah, into like the swamp or the reeds. And the last shot is them just slowly going underwater, well, the farmhand girl watches them, like clutching the book that she gave them in her to her chest. Mm -hmm. And that is it. That's that's two orphan vampires. Yeah. So it's, it's like immortals contemplating immortality or the form of immortality, which it might take. Yeah. 
Yeah, I. <laughs> you can totally read it as, yes, they are these temporarily disenfranchised gods. Or you can read it as like, yeah, we don't know why why we're vampires. We've just decided we're gods. It's It's all valid. I love it. Yeah, we're mysterious creatures of the night, and we have our own mythology, and all of our kind have their personal mythologies. We we go and meet various people, and each one of them has their own whole deal that they're uh, very ready to express. Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> Everyone's living their realities. And just as we're very ready to express our own deal. Yeah. In fact, their own deal is about the only thing they talk about. Yeah, they're 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 very much about themselves, but <laughs> but they have to be. That's how they are sustained. They are self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved this movie, honestly. It's a great time. It's a really good genre Roland movie. It uh, features so many of his themes and so much of his uh, so much of his stuff. Like watching it, it, it flashes me back to so many of the other ones. Mm, right on. Uh, I'd I'd love to dig into the other ones sometime. Oh, absolutely. We will have to because they're, they're it, it's such a great bunch of movies. They're so fascinating and they're all a very specific vibe. Like they all kind of feel like this. Right on. Because uh, I liked the feel. Mm-hmm. So do you have any last thoughts on Two Orphan Vampires before we head on to part three? Uh, no, but my thoughts will live again. They'll come back. All right. They will be reborn. In the watch stacks. And we're back for part three, the watch stacks, where we're going to talk about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week and uh, decide what we're going to watch next week. All right. Ooh. Um, a sequel to something I've seen on here. A Indeed. I, I, and not a huge amount of picks this week, but uh, some strong picks this week. Uh, first okay. up, one a pretty big iconic one that I'm not sure if you've seen before, Planet of the Apes. Uh, is this the original? Original Charlton Heston, Planet of the Apes. Uh, this one and one of the ones from the early 2000s are the only ones I've seen. Interesting. Uh, I have seen all of them, I think, except the last one, like the most recent of the Matt Reeves' Dawn Rise trilogy. I didn't see all of those, but yeah, for whatever reason, I've seen all of these movies a handful of times. I do like the first one quite a bit. I remember the first one being good. I saw it after seeing the uh, well, the legendary Simpsons of bit. I think yeah. everyone our age saw the Simpsons version of it first with Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, oh, oh Dr. Zayas. <laughs> they finally made a monkey out of me. <laughs> yeah. I, it's it is permanently imprinted, but uh, I mean the movie is still pretty undeniable. Like you come back to it, it's very solid. Uh, it's not fully written by Rod Serling, you know, of Twilight Zone fame, but he oh. did an early draft on it, and the movie is very Twilight Zoney. Like coming back to it, I was like, wow, this feels like an extended Twilight Zone episode. Imagine if you will a planet, but instead of people, they're apes. Well, he he wouldn't. Uh, it, it would be. Imagine, if you will, a planet ruled by apes. You know, the the real quick, like hmm, and the 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 Jerry Goldsmith score for Planet of the Apes kind of does have that percussive sound of the Twilight Zone too. So yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I I enjoyed it quite a bit rewatching it. It's been quite a while since I last watched it. Heston is so over the top and ridiculous. It's hilarious how much he just 
hates all of humanity <laughs> <laughs> until he's just stuck with apes and he's like I kind of miss the humans as it turns out <laughs> you're damn dirty apes get your stinking paws off me that is a fantastic moment when that finally comes up it's it is outstanding <laughs> he really delivers that line <laughs> Uh, and yeah, next up, T2 Train Spotting. Bad title, but a pretty good movie. Okay, so this one's actually good? It's decent. Uh, it's a very different flavor, and intentionally so. Okay. Because, like, you know, it's 20 years later, and Train Spotting is about the experience of being a nihilistic Gen X 20 year old. <laughs> so. Well, you can't. <laughs> yeah 20 years after that is a weird you're not going to be in the same place hopefully well i mean if you were that then you're probably going to be a depressed and tired and probably still pretty annoying adult who doesn't function very well and it's a movie about being a 40 something gen xer and just the bottoms fallen out <laughs> <laughs> things aren't fun anymore we're kind of repeating a lot of the same patterns it has tons and tons and tons of echoes of the other films and it's like them doing the same things but not having fun doing them anymore oh yeah that sounds like <laughs> me yeah the me 20 years after the me from 20 years ago it's like the 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 opening thing you have the famous run in uh, the first one where uh, Ewan McGregor is running down the street and he gets hit by the car and he rolls on the hood and he grins at it. They do sort of that sequence. And then, but it like, it's, he's not, he's actually just running on a treadmill <laughs> and he has a heart attack. Oh God. <laughs> all right. So he's been living in the Netherlands all this time. And he decides he's going to finally go back to Edinburgh for the first time in 20 years. Okay. So he meets up with everyone, essentially. I mean, Begbie's in jail. Well. Uh, expectedly. So. Begbie uh, has <laughs> understandably been in jail for some time. Uh, he breaks out of jail in the movie, not knowing at the time that Renton is in town. He just happens to have an opportunity. He breaks out so he can menace his family some more. Because uh, he has a family, <laughs> of course. And it's, of course. it's obviously not working out there. Sick boy is still sick boy, still just running shitty schemes. He has a blackmail <laughs> scheme with this Bulgarian uh, 20-something immigrant who interestingly sort of provides the only 20-something perspective in the movie. Oh, okay. She's like looking at all of their bullshit in the same... Like she's the millennial looking at these Gen Xers still wrapped up in their own bullshit after 20 years. So <laughs> it's kind of an interesting perspective. And he he runs a scam with her where she pegs businessmen and he films it and blackmails them. Uh. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, you know, Renton comes back into town and he's giving him back the money. He's like, here's the four grand that you should have had. And he's like, what do I got to do with it? Buy a fucking time machine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, he, he uh, Spud is suicidally depressed when he gets to the apartment to meet up with him because, you know, he gave him four four thousand pounds. Uh, yeah. He was a very severe addict. He spent it all on drugs. He's still an addict. But now I... he's suicidally depressed and things are really at, like he is committing suicide when Renton shows up. See, 
I am just shocked that Spud lived another 20 years to be in this movie. Yeah, he's looking rough. Uh, and then his he's sort of like the core plot line in that he sort of becomes Irvin Welsh, the writer of Trainspotting. Okay. He's, he, you know, as part of his therapy to kind of become a person again, he starts writing down all his stories and they're, you know, all these sequences from Trainspotting and porno, the two novels the the thing is very little of it is based on the actual sequel it's largely just them kind of going back and creating their own thing that echoes with the original one but poisoned nostalgia it's like they do the choose life speech again but it just gets so raw and angry that everyone around him is put off and it's like well Mm. you know we thought it was funny back then (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's 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 quite interesting It's, it's good but it's it's definitely not fun. Like it's it is mm. pointedly uh, a hard ride, and them having a bad time. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, next, Magnificent Warriors, which is one uh, we watched uh, together. Yeah, with uh, Michelle Yeoh as a badass um, kind of Indiana Jones like uh, Chinese pilot. Very Indiana Jones like, uh, extremely uh, borrowing from the Indiana Jones template. In terms of the kung fu movies we watched, I mean, it's it's late in the era. It's like I think it's eighty seven, and mm-hmm. it definitely feels much more Hollywood than any of the other ones we've watched. It it really does. It it really more feels like a blockbuster, like an action blockbuster with Kung Fu in it. Kind of like what you got when Jackie Chan came to America, although it still plays the Kung Fu better. I, you know, the Kung Fu is filmed better. They it's it's yes. performed better. They allow for the kind of stunts, whereas, you know, uh, in, in most American productions, they just cut around it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, the Kung Fu was really good. Uh, the rest of the movie was alternated between being it felt kind of silly the tone is sort of all over the place yeah (laughs) yeah um i mean it's it's fun and the silliness isn't unwanted it's just it it takes you yeah it's it's tonal whiplash at times you go from really silly slapsticky stuff to pretty serious uh we're gonna sacrifice the whole city to uh save the people because uh, this is war and it, it it really vacillates hard between them. Yeah, and also uh we are super racist against Japan. Yeah. It's not as bad as that one I watched most I, I watched a little while ago, uh the the Angela Mao one. I think it was uh Hapkido. Hapkido was much more in your face about it, but there's a lot of it here. And I think it's the same thing. It's a Korean uh, occupation era or is this world war one no no it was the 30s so it's this korean occupation the 30s. Yeah. yeah 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 uh japan wants to turn this city that they're occupying into a chemical weapons plant right and uh yeah the the climax of the movie is this huge uh city siege uh sequence it's impressive and there are explosions like so many more explosions than i've ever seen in a kung fu movie before yeah yeah and just so much happens in that last bit it's just like half an hour of fighting it's pretty chaotic but yeah like it's a it's a really good time but uh does not feel as much of a kung fu movie in terms of the kung fu movies we've watched yeah no no uh next up my favorite james bond movie you only live twice i've seen this one maybe twice (laughs) 
definitely once. Uh, I love this one so much. Uh, it's got my favorite Bond song, Nancy Sinatra's You Only Live Twice. Just absolutely beautiful. And it carries on like it's, it's sonic motifs in the score give this kind of a special vibe to me. I just really love the sound of it. it's the japan location you've got the most iconic villain lair it's the volcano lair with the rocket launch pad that's hidden under a fake lake (laughs) right right i remember that one it's donald pleasance's blofeld with the cat and there's that scene where the cat is freaking out and he's trying to pretend he's still just petting it and there's nothing going on and it's like i'm trying (laughs) to get out of here (laughs) (laughs) yep it's it's like Blofeld in this is what Dr. Evil is based on, like directly. Yeah, I, re- I remember thinking that like because I saw this one the first time after seeing Austin Powers yeah. and I didn't realize just how direct like I knew Dr. Evil was going to be a parody of Bond villains in general. I didn't realize how much he was just this guy. Well, and this lair too. Like the it's almost the same lair. It, he doesn't have the sharks with freaking laser beams. He has the piranha moat, which is also pretty intense. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it it has its problems. It is the one where Bond has to go undercover as a Japanese fisherman so they dye him brown and they <laughs> Oh yeah. 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 I mean it's it's not perfect in that regard, but it's absolutely my favorite. It's just so zany. You know, the the villain has a plot where he has this rocket that he sends up that eats other spaceships, and then he <laughs> he takes the crew of the spaceships and holds them hostage, and he's trying to start World War Three by getting them mad at each other by like uh you know, kidnapping both American and Russian crews. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> i remember the rocket that eats other rockets yeah. and i love tiger tanaka the head of the japanese secret service in this who bond hangs with and you know they <laughs> they go on adventures uh, uh his name is tiger tanaka. tiger tanaka uh bond has that crazy mini helicopter thing oh yeah yeah i i, I just love it it's it's the craziest one it's got Oh, a full-out ninja siege of a volcano rocket base. Like, it's the most cartoon thing that ever happened in one of these classic Bonds. <laughs> Man, all right. Um, so these have all been strong contenders for what I want to pick for this week <laughs> so far? Right on. So next up, we've got Catch the Heat. Uh, <laughs> this I, I sent you a couple clips from this one. It's uh, Checkers Goldberg. Oh, right. <laughs> She's not a chick. <laughs> Checkers Goldberg. Uh, so it, it is a strange movie. It's written by Sterling Siliphant, who's the, this legendary screenwriter. Uh, I don't know what he was doing at this point. This is late 80s. Uh, this is a guy who wrote In the Heat of the Night, a very famous okay. Sidney Poitier film about a black police officer in the South. Oh. Great movie, which also starred Rod Steiger as the kind of racist sheriff who kind of has to grudgingly learn to accept him. Hmm. So okay. this is Rod Steiger a good few years down the line as well. And he's a hmm. he's a heroin kingpin named Jason Hannibal. <laughs> All right. And there's it, it turns into this plot. He's got this pipeline of he's smuggling drugs inside breast implants. 
<laughs> man he's he's scouting young ingenues and he kind of grooms them and then he's like well i kind of just you know the thing is i'd like those breasts to be a little bit bigger and then you know he, he puts the drugs in the implant and that's how they smuggle them how does he get them out after they've um well the thing is those girls don't survive they they uh oh. uh odd job his his second command <laughs> it's it's professor Toru tanaka himself uh, is his guy who gets the drugs back, let's say. I see. Man, this <laughs> sounds like an incredibly expensive plan. Uh, yeah, it does not seem in any way feasible. <laughs> I think this guy just wanted an excuse to do to do a criminal ring where he kills girls. He is pretty bizarre. Like he's the only person who is able to deliver the dialogues. The dialogue in this is very overheated. And most of these are C movie actors, you know, people oh. who I, I haven't seen in other stuff uh, oh, wow. <laughs> for the most part. Uh, so, you know, other than, you know, professor Toru Tanaka, of course. Uh, right. And uh, there's the, the big, evil villain guy from cobra is in it as another henchman too oh cool uh this is from the director of breakin and rappin (laughs) (laughs) one of the early canon guys uh but yeah it's it's really bizarre they go to buenos aires she goes undercover as cinderella Pooh, and when when she's given the name she's like i don't think so he's like no no we've already made the id it's like oh great uh <laughs> so she goes down to buenos aires and they kind of insert themselves in the organization and for some reason he becomes totally like steiger becomes totally obsessed with her because she reminds him of some woman from his past i don't know uh, of course yeah uh <laughs> that, that's when the, the her his chauffeur who she arrested at one point in new york way back in the day recognizes her of course and is like i know that chick from somewhere and his incredible delivery of She's not <laughs> totally astonishing. Right. Uh, weird movie. <laughs> like bad, but interestingly bad. Right on. Uh, next up, we've got Santo versus the Infernal Men, the second Ooh. Santo film. It's All right. Uh, it feels more fragmented than the first one i feel like this one was less complete when castro ran them out of town <laughs> oh <laughs> i see because uh this the the first two both of them were being filmed simultaneously in havana uh during the revolution and just production had to abruptly end so it's weird santo's not in a lot and there's not a lot of connective tissue between his appearances in the movie it's a smuggling thing He's he's dealing oh, okay. with smugglers and uh, they're on a barge and they, they have some hammocks on the barge and often they're sleeping in the hammocks on the barge. And then sure. occasionally Santa will rise out of the sea, <laughs> <laughs> just like knock him out of the hammock, start a brawl, maybe kill one of them, break a <laughs> neck. And then he just like dives back into the water and swims away. <laughs> it's like playing an Assassin's Creed in this game. It's like just. Just get on the boat, kill a few people, get back into the water, wait five minutes, they'll forget you were there. Yeah, they, they go keep... back to their hammocks. <laughs> yeah. Just keep doing this until 
it kind of feels like that yeah it's it's very strange and there's this whole thing most of it the plot is focused on this very boring couple who just well most of the plot i I would say most of the movie is focused on scenery of havana like the first one they really (laughs) had to stretch it out you're gonna see the whole drive over uh you're you're gonna know how they got there and uh there's this couple who are squabbling and they're sort of tangential to the smuggler gang like the guy is vaguely in with them and I don't know, there's a part where they go to a mariachi band. We see a mariachi band playing on the beach, or like a rumba band, and they do a whole song. Okay. <laughs> and our couple walk all the way across the beach. They come and choose a table, and they sit down at a table. <laughs> and, they, and then someone goes up to them and says, I want to buy your ranch. <laughs> <laughs> they they motion a musicians over. And they come over. <laughs> they perform two more songs. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, these people have something to do with the smugglers, and Santo has to rescue them. Like the guy helps him fight them. Uh, it's disjointed. <laughs> the rodeo was continuing at a fantastic pace. Yeah, I mean, they had to cobble something together. It wasn't done when they left. Uh, <laughs> next up, we've got Count Alcum. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, Count Alcum. Count Alcum. Uh, this is a uh, Ray Dennis Steckler vampire porno. <laughs> uh, you showed me some clips of this one too. Yeah, this is some of the comedy bits where he's just wearing his fake Halloween teeth and stalking around town with his thousand and one ways to seduce a woman book. <laughs> Hiding behind trees and stuff. It's really weird because the the. The concept of the movie is he gets this book and it's he's gonna he's like okay now I'm gonna be a more confident vampire because he's not really good at being a vampire or with women he's just sort of too awkward they always run okay. away from him or whatever so he's got this book and he's like all right I'm really confident now and he picks this lady and then there's this other cooler vampire who swoops in I think. Because I think he's because he seems to be lurking in the bushes watching this other vampire make his moves and then have sex with the lady for like 45 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's not that long because that's the whole length of the movie, but it's most of the length of the movie is discrete sequences of uh, other vampire and this lady having sex that's shot from a great distance and silent because it's the other vampire peeking on it. Right. <laughs> uh, sounds about right for uh, Ray Dennis Steckler. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's an odd one. But yeah, it's just lots of comedy bits of him uh, talking to the screen about how he's just not successful in love or uh, as a vampire. Hmm. <laughs> Next up, we've got Justice Ninja Style. <laughs> Do ninjas have to deliver some justice? Blink and you die in the dark. <laughs> Okay. This is a small town Missouri uh, ninja picture from the late 80s, which it feels too late for them to be talking about the mythical ninja that is uh, that, you know, most people haven't heard of. And like people have heard of ninjas. It's the late 80s. It's been a whole cycle. If you if you're making this in 1980, sure. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. the late 80s, there were like. There was bikes named after ninjas. Yeah, ninjas were in the peak of culture. So uh, it, it was it's a weird choice. But anyway. Or the Teenage Mutant something turtles. Right. 
they they were out by this point. So, <laughs> so there's this cop who's sexually harassing this lady, and she kicks him in the balls, and he hits her with his nightstick, and it kills her unexpectedly. Well, he is a cop, so there's going to be no consequences whatsoever for that. Well, his partner's freaking out. He's like, man, what the fuck? We, we're going to have to uh, own up to this. Like, th- this is not acceptable. But there's, fortunately, there's this passing martial artist. Like, this guy he knows works at the martial arts school, right? Okay. And he flags him down. And he's like, hey, show me some tricks with the nightstick. And he gets his prints on the nightstick. And he frames him for murder. Uh... See, fortunately, though, there was a ninja hanging out in the bushes watching the whole thing (laughs) revealed after he's like dragged off for murder. Uh, What? I don't know why the ninja never stepped in prior to this. I I really don't know. He just, (laughs) he just serves justice for martial artists, I guess. Anyway, he, he goes and gets him out of prison and uh, just helps him out occasionally, you know, comes in every time uh, he's in mortal peril uh, hits people with shurikens and stuff. <laughs> I sent you a clip from this, which uh, where his other guy, Karate Dan, one of the other guys from his school. Oh, he just broke through this door. No, no, that that's from Chase. That's from Catch the Heat. Oh, okay, <laughs> Justice Ninja style, where his guy, he's at some kind of bake sale or something for the karate school. I don't even know. He's just in a school auditorium. And this lady's, you know, says, "All right, I gotta go." He's like, "All right," and he lights a cigarette, and the score goes, dun, 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 and it goes for like twenty-five seconds. It's just him smoking. The slow zoom in. It's like, I-, I sent it to you with Karate Dan contemplates. <laughs> right. Very striking. It just, that's the sort of uh, vibe of the movie. <laughs> next up curse of the blue lights oh that would fit uh that movie would fit in with the two that we discussed today true although there's not a lot of blue light in this you just got these two little distant blue lights oh lame. Uh, and it's a town called blue lights in colorado oh, of course there's a tiny little colorado town blue lights and there, there's these myths of well, well. First, you see this farmer go out to uh, his corn, and he finds his dog has been murdered. It's Ooh, it's no. not unlike uh, the two orphan vampires. There's, there's this dead dog. And he's like, oh hell, and he leans down, and his the scarecrow jumps down off the thing and attacks him and chops his head off. Oh. And that's like the pre-credit sequence. It's like, oh shit, what the hell was that? Cool. Uh, and then we have these teens who are at makeout point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're so dead. I, I use teens in a very uh, loose sense. I think they're supposed to be teens. They are definitely 20 or 30 somethings. Yeah. <laughs> so they see some blue lights off in the distance, these uh, mysterious blue lights. And they go follow them and they come down the hill and they get distracted because there's this monster hands sticking out of the ground and they know this local folklore about the Muldoon man and Uh-oh. you're just piling on lore lore is just piling up really <laughs> fast and they're like okay well the thing with the Muldoon man is they're fossilized real monsters it's not just a statue 
And, oh. <laughs> you know, we, we want to dig this thing out. It's probably a very important artifact. And they uh, drive off or, you know, they send several of them to drive off and get help so they can uh, load it into a pickup. But they get stopped for speeding. And the cops are just really fucking annoying. So he ultimately forces them to take him back to it. And it's uh, it, it ends up being stolen. It's uh, some big rubber-suited monsters have made off with it. Oh, yes. <laughs> and they have this underground crypt where they are killing people and then putting them into this sort of goo that dissolves them and turns them into a slurry that goes into a straw into the Muldoon man that's going to make it come back to life so it can uh, destroy humanity or whatever. Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's sort of all over the place. The tone is very weird. The big rubber monsters are very silly looking. The one that you can (laughs) sort of see on the poster, it looks like Trump. It looks so much like Trump. It looks like a spitting image puppet of Trump from the 80s, just like dyed (laughs) green. Uh, weird, uh, strange. <laughs> and the Muldoon man is very tremendous, <laughs> and we just need a few more people to melt them down and put them into a Muldoon man, and he will make America great again. A lot of people are saying that they want the Muldoon man to come back. Have you heard this? Uh, next up is the Cat Creeps. Cat Creeps. Oh, this is a, is a creepy cat. Nah, well, court sort of. I mean, it's it's a it's a cat. It's a cat focused movie. You got uh, an old dark house movie from the forties. Oh, you know, a bunch of people gathered in an old dark house, and there's a mystery afoot, and there's a murder. Who did it? Oh. Maybe the cat, the cat. No, the cat knows. Oh, the, cat's the cat's gonna find out who did it. <laughs> Unless the cat knows too much. Well, that's the danger, right? Everyone's like. Well, if I was the murderer, I'd uh, knock off that cat. That cat knows too much. And he's like, <laughs> leave the cat alone. It's like this, this weird old witchy house. And uh, the old lady uh, is murdered. And, you know, there's a treasure in the house. So there's a bunch of people there and they're trying to figure out who did it. And this weird kind of ghostly lady shows up or this medium lady. And she's like, well, my friend who was just murdered, her soul has passed into her pet cat. And her cat is going to show us who did the murder. We're just going to follow the cat around for the night. And the cat just uh, keeps leading them to stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so apparently they were murdered by a bag of cat treats. And yeah, I mean, it's sort of a scam, ultimately. <laughs> like, spoilers but, you know, ultimately it's, it's them trying to, like, scare out the murderer by... Uh, using the cat as theater. It's just like, it is her cat who lives in the house. It's mostly being motivated by, you know, treats or places that the cat's not normally allowed to go to, or it's secretly <laughs> got kittens hidden around the house. No. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's a slim uh, sub one hour forties uh, uh, universal thing, but you know, it's, 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 it's enjoyable enough. Well, that sounds like fun. So, of those ten options, what do you figure for next week? Man, these are all interesting. <laughs> it's a pretty strong bunch. Yeah, uh, but this time, uh, this time, I think I'm going to do the Bond movie. All right, it is my favorite one. Mm-mm, that theme song is so good. 
<laughs> I, I don't know what my favorite is. Uh, th- this one, it is unquestionably the one for me, but there are some great ones. I, I did a thing oh, back in like maybe 2005 where I went and watched not all of them, but all the ones that my grandpa had on VHS, which was most of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I have no idea which ones I've seen and haven't seen now. Mm. I think that's around the time that I actually watched all of them, all the like all of them through the first time, because I'd seen a lot of isolated ones up to that point. But circa, it, it's when the DVDs came out when they did uh, box sets, maybe like two thousand seven ish, because I was definitely working at Future Shop at the time, and that's when I first saw all of them. Okay, yeah, I had seen a bunch in isolation here and there, but that at that time I just watched. A whole bunch. Yeah, it was like the first time I sat down and watched all of them through chronologically. And I had read all of the books by that point, too. Oh, I haven't read any of the books. They're interesting. They're much pulpier. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Fleming's a weird dude. <laughs> so uh, we have only a handful of additions to the stacks. I guess just four things. All uh, right. Obviously, after Planet of the Apes, we've got Beneath the Planet of the Apes. It's the sequel. Ooh. Uh, Charlton Heston continues on, still hunted by the apes. Uh, He discovers an underground telepathic society of humans. I think they're all blind. I can't remember. They're worshipping an atomic bomb. Okay. Uh, It's a dark one. It's fucking crazy. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Next up, Steel Justice. This is another uh, ludicrous 80s uh, crime action thing. Uh, It's this guy. He's a Vietnam vet. And uh, he really had a rough time in Vietnam and he never really was, he he wasn't ready to let go of the war. So he brings the war home because there's uh, Vietnamese triad gangs in the Los Angeles area. And he decides to bring the war to them. Uh Oh, doesn't sound good. Sounds, sounds rough. (laughs) (laughs) Next up the brave archer. My understanding, no real archery involved in this one. Right. Seems like a pretty basic Kung Fu storyline. This is first in a series of five films. It's uh, these, I think it's two brothers from uh, some you know, important family. I think they're orphaned. They are both taken in by different uh, masters and they learn different Kung Fu styles. And then, you know, ultimately they will have to come together by the end of the film. Okay, cool. And last one, Dr. Cocklove. <laughs> what can i say it's another ray dennis steckler nazi porno it's gonna be uh you know uh nazi sex experiments i guess <laughs> sure uh dr cocklove and his assistant fritz perform a series of experiments on female prisoners all right how about that so what do you figure for our main feature next week well hmm and why isn't uh, it Dr. Cocklove? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, obviously not. <laughs> well, uh, not not obviously not. <laughs> right. Probably not. <laughs> uh, you know, you, talking about uh, a few kung fu movies has got me thinking, we've only done a couple of those on the show. Yeah, we did. Uh... The Boxer from Shantung, and I think it's Five Fingers of Death? Five Fingers of Death and Come Drink With Me is sort of a Kung Fu slash Wuxia. Right, right. I think that's so, it, yeah. 
Yeah, the one that we I remember the one that we picked from the Shaw box because I liked the name. Dirty was, Ho. Uh, Dirty Ho. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what this is going to be about. Uh, a prince enlists a thief to serve as his bodyguard to protect him from assassins. That sounds like every kung fu movie i'm, I mean, I'm that, into it that, that's sort of the thing with all of these they have very recognizable concepts that they just sort of reuse over and over again this one's directed by lao kar lung who also did 36 chamber of shaolin eight diagram pole fighter oh did we we watched that one didn't we i mean i know i did uh he did legendary weapons of china which i know we watched oh we yeah. did watch that that was fun uh, and Shaolin Mantis. I don't know if you watched that one. I know I watched that I one. I think so. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen a lot of Lao Kar Lung films. Uh, yeah. Uh, and a lot of these <laughs> do kind of tend to blur together too. Yeah. Well, it's just ones that I know I have or ones that I've seen before, like Mad Monkey Kung Fu. I have, but I haven't watched it. Uh, Executioners from Shaolin. Ooh. Uh, but yeah. Eight, Eight Diagram Pole Fighter is like, top tier one of my absolute favorite kung fu movies for sure i am sure that we saw that together could uh, be. not too long ago that's where they're well, fucking thought... knocking teeth out with the the poles and they have yep. the wolf uh the oh wolf yeah thing. they have the wooden dog thing yeah that one's fucking for the incredible yeah yeah oh man that one was insane and the absolute best so oh, you're you're thinking dirty ho this week or uh... i am thinking dirty ho all right so, uh, Dirty Ho and You Only Live Twice are going to get into some strange Orientalism this uh, this <laughs> next week. Uh, lots to explore with You Only Live Twice, a very strange film. Yeah, I remember even at the time thinking, oh, this didn't age well. It's But who knows? It's unabashedly my favorite. I completely acknowledge that there are problems in it but there are problems with james bond as a character and james uh, bond as a character is problematic he's extremely problematic and they they kind of lean into it with this one in a weird sort of way this was the last connery one before he decided he wasn't getting enough money next they do honor her majesty's secret service which is the only george lazenby one that one i know i haven't seen that one's strange it's like and 80% a really good one, and then like 20% total dog shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I know I saw I saw most of the Conneries. I think I skipped most of the Roger Moore ones, but not all of them. And I didn't rewatch any of the um, Brosnan ones because I saw all those when they came out. I only ever saw Gold, GoldenEye uh, when it came out. I never saw the other one. No, I oh, saw I... World is Not Enough in theater. That one kind of stunk. Yeah, I saw, I didn't see, no, I did. I saw those in theater. I never saw the Halle Berry one. Oh, it's awful. It's my least favorite of the whole series. Oh, wow. I've heard it's bad. My absolute bottom. No question. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> it stinks. Uh, <laughs> but You Only Live Twice, this one's the peak. So that'll be All fun. Right. So next week, You Only Live Twice and Dirty Ho uh interesting para movies uh so mm -hmm. do you have any last thoughts before we close up for this week uh blue the snake is <laughs> blue and all the snakes of june are blue and all day and all night and everything the girls see is blue fuck i i wrote it but i don't have it near me you you did it at the start <laughs> it's <all good>. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right everyone uh 
thanks so much for listening and you only live twice.